Holy shit, y'all. It has been a crazy summer. Um, the podcast has been taking a back seat because I got invited to the White House to present Snakebite as a Made in America product. And that was about six weeks ago. And I have been running around like an insane person for the past month and a half ever since that happened. Um, I want to talk about it a little bit. I don't want to get too in depth here, but it was an amazing and surreal experience. It was just crazy to be invited in the first place and then actually going and doing the things is just, I I really am going to take a while to try and, uh, you know, figure everything out that happened during that time, write about it, process it, put it out on paper. Maybe publish it somewhere. I'm not sure. Um, nothing crazy, just like a news article or something. But it was it was the craziest experience I've ever had. Honestly, I've had some pretty crazy experiences so far. But it was an honor. You know, it was cool to be called out there to talk about a brand and to showcase a brand that I've been working on for the past five years. And of course, there was the initial tinge of uh, this. This administration, this is the one that I'm going to. But I think that sometimes you got to kind of also do the things that you aren't necessarily immediately stoked about doing. It's kind of anti-philosophy as well. You know, just because it's not what you're comfortable doing doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. And I'm very happy that I did. Uh, A lot of my views and perspectives on certain things were expanded, met a lot of really cool people, Um, current staff administration, and then also the White House staff that has been there for 30 or 40 years and what they've seen and, and how they just were, just being around them, very, very beautiful souls, very nice people. And now there are Mamba bartending tools and snake bites in the White House. That's right. For this administration and all administrations to come, there will be bartending tools made by your boy, Kevin Kelly of Snakebite Co. in the White House. So that's pretty badass, I have to say. Um, but yeah, it's been a whirlwind. A lot of press. I got hit up to go to New York to be on Fox and Friends, which was another crazy experience. And... It was just a long time of traveling. You know, we I was on vacation, came back, got ready, left for DC, left for New Orleans immediately after DC, and then straight from New Orleans went to New York. And it had to be the hottest damn week of the year to travel. And I had four suitcases. My girlfriend Amber obviously was a huge help. I had, uh, we had four carry-ons. I mean, it was just crazy. We had so much luggage because I had to take the backdrop with us. So we shipped up materials beforehand and then I had to figure out a way to pack them back and bring them home with us as well as doing an event down in New Orleans that I couldn't ship 500 snake bites to because of Hurricane Barry or Tropical Storm Barry or whatever it ended up being. Uh, it thankfully missed New Orleans, but we had a giant duffel bag full of snake bites all throughout DC and New Orleans until we got to New York. 
and it was just crazy. I, I started to get sick a little bit just from overextending myself, staying up late, having fun, um, and also just burning the candle at both ends. But it was totally worth it. I've been back now for a week and a half, and uh, it feels like a day. There's so much shit to do. I'm getting hit up by local and international press. Uh, Like I said, I plan on writing a little first-person perspective about my experiences. And, And then just also doing business and getting paid and making sure that the influx of orders that we had got shipped out in a timely fashion. So I'm a little tired. I am a little tired. I bought these Diet Cokes for the booth at the White House just in case the president came around and he wanted to see how they worked exactly. Um, So I had like eight of them left over and I haven't drank Diet Coke in probably 12 years and I'm drinking one right now. (laughs) And it's not exactly good, but it's, uh, it's caffeine and it's working for me at the moment. So don't judge me. Once these last few run out, I probably won't buy them again for another 12 years. Um, this podcast, 003, just the third podcast that's taken forever to get out, was with my homie, Josh Boston. He's a designer in Portland, Oregon. And Josh and I go way back. He was um, kind uh, I don't know if he was my boss, kind of my boss, but he was the art director uh, at, at this uh, non-for-profit religious organization that we both worked at. And he was just, uh, he was unlike anyone I've ever met. He was my age, maybe a few months older, but he had an aesthetic uh, that was just clearly amazing. Uh, he had, he was so much further along in the game of graphic design than I was. And he taught me a lot of things uh, directly and indirectly. And I think we both started to learn from each other after a while as we became friends. Um, but he definitely taught uh, me how to develop a bit of taste and to know what is good and what isn't good. And that's purely through reading and studying and understanding design and art and how these things come together in general. And, um, and, and as we talk about, I helped him with kind of the technological aspect. You know, I was a Photoshop nerd, so I, I could help him do things that he wanted to do that he wasn't sure how to do. Um, but we, after we stopped doing that phase of our professional lives, he uh, continued on and worked at a bunch of incredible agencies, um, Crispin Porter, Wyden Kennedy, this little shop in South California, Southern California called Lambesis. And he gained a lot of experiences through this. And at this point, he's freelancing, he's independent. And I, and I completely understand why. We talk a little bit about kind of the disillusionment in working at an agency, um, the disillusionment behind working on big brands. Uh, when you work on something for a long time and it's just struck down, uh, no longer exist. And uh, also just like things that bring us joy. There's a lot of talking about older design heroes of ours when I say older, I mean like 12, 13, 14 years ago, not like Saul Bass, but just some things that was funny to reminisce about and websites back when the web was still fairly young, relatively speaking. 
Uh, so this was a great podcast. I had, I had a lot of fun. It went a little on the long side as they are seemingly tending to do. Uh, but we cracked a few beers, a little, a few wobbly pops about halfway through. And we touched on some things towards the end that I thought were really good and really important. So remember that you can follow along with the notes, um, just skip ahead or check out links or go back to a certain part that you thought was interesting. The notes are available at podcast.anti-agency.org. Um, and I believe they're also being packaged in the iTunes and the Spotify versions. Uh, and enjoy the episode. I think it's uh, I think it's a fun one, especially for graphic designers and freelancers. I think you'll have a lot to glean from what Josh has to say and about what you want to do moving forward. Uh, so sit back and enjoy 003 on the Anti Podcast. It's okay to be scared sometimes. Why is that? Gotta face your fears. <laughs> so uh, we were just talking about a potential podcast intro. Yes. Oh, so this is the podcast. We're here. We're here. We're yeah. recording. We're recording. This is happening. Um, to all the the listeners, Kevin doesn't he doesn't know what he's doing with his music yet on the podcast, and I feel like the music for a podcast is kind of like naming a band. It's, it's the best part. Uh, like what's your band name going to be? What's your podcast music going to be? You could, you could do so many cool things. You could put <laughs> your own jingle. Wouldn't the naming of the band also be uh, on par with naming the podcast? Well, you already named it though. So that part's over. That's true. So we that don't have that to look forward to, but what we do have to look forward to is all the possibilities that your jingle could be. Yeah. You and could so have the next you, great jingle. You had an idea. I'm I'm gonna have. Or were to, you just freestyle? I was freestyling a little bit, but there there's already a company jingle in my head, and that ruins things. You know, and you get something stuck in your head. So. Yeah, like ba da ba ba ba. That's what was in my head. Is that what I did? That's what <laughs> I, I did. But that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Uh, the jingle is highly underrated these days. It is because Audio branding. Yes. Anytime I hear something like State Farm. Mm-hmm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wait, are they still <laughs> bum? Oh no, farmers. That's the one with bum, the bum, whiplash bum, guy. Yeah. Not my tempo. Yeah. Bum bum bum. We we are farmers. With Jonah. J. Jonah Jameson. Yes. Or what's his actual name? I don't know, but um that film was incredible. Spider Man? No. Or Whiplash. Whiplash. I want to say it's like uh it is a, an, an initial name, like F. Murray Abreu, but I think that's a former secretary general or something. What's his name? All right, so I already decided not to have the iPad open to do research, and I'm immediately regretting it. It's okay. The bald guy from Whiplash, everybody knows him. It's going to hit me in the middle of the podcast. Yeah, maybe you should do an intro because I feel bad that everyone knows who you are, but they're they're like, who's this second voice? Good point. Well, What's hopefully uh, when they click on the podcast, oh. they'll have some inkling as to who you are. But I'm sitting down in the Pacific Northwest, uh, Southwest Portland, in Josh Boston's beautiful office, uh, home office. I'm not going to divulge the location. He always uh, already has had to put up with a number of stalkers and fans. <laughs> and uh, no, it's, it's great. You, you have an awesome neighborhood. I've always loved Portland except for my first visit. Um, but Portland is just a very welcoming community, although that's not nice. very diverse, I hear. That's that's true. But it's, um, it's, 
I feel it's like where the suburbs were born. Portland, yeah. And in a Maybe. good way. I don't mean that in a negative way. Like yeah. all the suburbs in Portland just feel like the most iconic version of a suburb. There's a reason Beverly Cleary wrote all those books because she she's from here. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, she's like Ramona. Oh yeah. She's fudge. Quimby. Super fudge. Yeah. All that stuff. Um, Simpsons creator. A lot of Simpsons characters are named after streets in Portland. Matt Groening's from here. Maybe I don't. Again, <laughs> we need that iPad. It's all I know is that there's a lot of Portland references. Like Lovejoy is a street. So oh yeah. Um, Mr. Burns, Burnside Street. Yeah. Jeez, um, what are the other ones? Now I'm blanking. But yeah, deep deep cuts. Deep 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 cuts. <laughs> so um, Josh and I have a long history of being friends. We've been friends now for uh, fifteen years mm-hmm. or so, mm-hmm. and we met working together. And Josh, um, he was, what was your title at the time? I don't even remember. I think I was a senior designer at the age of 22, which is ridiculous. Um, but specifically when we were working together, were you like an art director? Um, I, no, I think it, at first it was senior designer and then art director, but it, it kind of didn't matter. It was title salad. Yeah. Title salad. And it was at a glorious, uh, religious nonprofit. So it was interesting. Um, but it was kind of like the bad news bears meets the Goonies or some type of other iconic sitcoms, not sitcoms, sorry, movies, because we were able to recruit a bunch of early 20 something talent to one. You had to live in St. Louis Two, you had to agree to work for a religious nonprofit, (laughs) which is nearly impossible. Um, but we had a really great team assembled for a little bit. Uh, and then everyone quit and left, but it was fun for, for a minute. No, totally. It's one of those things that I kind of can't believe it happened. You look back on it and you're like, Oh yeah, that really happened. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. But before that, I had been in California, uh, working in advertising. And then before that, I was just making websites in, in St. Louis. And then before that, I was in high school, <laughs> making websites in high school in the middle, not even in St. Louis. I, I have a chip on my shoulder that I didn't even get to grow up in St. Louis. Like People in St. Louis think they already have a chip on their shoulder because they're St. Louis. And it's yeah. like, no, you need to live in the middle of Missouri <laughs> off of a one lane highway and then off of that a gravel road and then off of that a really long gravel driveway that has a grave next to it so you, when you're a kid you have to walk past a grave every day by yourself as a latchkey kid and dude i mean we'll now get- that now that i've seen breaking bad and i'm looking back it's like if my family would have known how to create methamphetamine i, I think we could have been so wealthy because you would have never found us. Yeah. Ever. (laughs) I mean, I was in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) This is where I was. All right. We'll get to that. Um, let's start from our friendship though. And, uh, we, we worked together and I had come from this background of, um, it looks like your mic's about to just fall right off the desk. 
It's an illusion. Okay. We, uh, uh, I Kevin, I, I, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I know this is my first podcast, but uh, I'm a <laughs> professional. So. In many ways, it's my first too. Actually, it's my third, but mm. I'm still learning so many different things as I go along. But uh, I had come from a background of, I guess I would call it design of a sense in that I was learning the Adobe uh, programs. It wasn't a creative suite yet. They were still all independent programs. And I had a certain idea of what I thought good design was without really knowing. And so when I started working with Josh, it was kind of like, uh, not a rude awakening, because you weren't rude, but it was just like an awakening and a lesson in humility to say, listen, bucko, listen, listen, 22-year-old Kev, you don't know exactly everything about design yet. And... Uh, and Josh was, even though, what are you, a year older than me? I'm still born in 82, so I... Oh, shit. March. Okay, 82. so months, he was still a mentor and then also a good friend. And it was cool how our friendship developed because I think we both um, mentored each other in different ways and then also became um, just solid friends along the way. And uh, it, it's been one of my favorite friendships as I get older. Mm-hmm. So... You know, mm. not to you know, not to mm. not to not to kiss your ass too much, mm. but no, I, I. Wow, this is this is getting heartfelt very fast. But I was telling <laughs> my we went out to dinner last night, my wife and I and Kevin and his lady friend, and I was telling my wife separately that Kevin is one of the few people in my life that it feels like we're related, but we're not related. But even if we don't talk all the time, you know you get together once and it's feels like you've been hanging out every day. I like how you're talking to a a person that doesn't exist. (laughs) What do you mean? Like Kevin is a, he's a great guy. Like third person. I know. I know. I don't know how to do that yet either. Do we talk to the audience as if they're there? Well, they're listening. Or should we just talk to each other? (laughs) Both. You have to provide context. Yes. Exposition. So I just ruined that moment. Didn't it? It's okay. Fuck. Keep going. So you fix it in post. This um, this is the first episode, uh, not in St. Louis, uh, because I don't want this to be just a St. Louis podcast. I want to talk to people that I think have found different ways to succeed um, outside the normal. And Josh definitely came to mind um, for many reasons, um, and one of those I think I want to touch on is finding uh, career success at a pretty early age and how you feel about that now. Um, But let's get back. Let's start, like, what was your first favorite design? What was something that you can recall? Was it Disney-related? I know you're a big fan of Disney. No, Disney stuff is just me uh, coping with 2019 adulthood, (laughs) and it's it's like a weird Peter Pan therapy, I think, honestly. It's like, oh, like give me that nostalgia. Straight to the face. Give me that nostalgia. (laughs) Because I can't deal with reality as a 37-year-old man. Um, so wait, is the question uh, a piece of design? Okay, so nothing that I did, which makes no, sense. No, like what was no, the it, first thing I did was terrible. piece of graphic design For or sure, anything sure. that you saw? It didn't even have to be um, graphic design. Okay, no, I, I actually, I know this one. Um, I think it was in when I was in middle school, I remember... They were these Nike ACG ads, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure Wyden Kennedy did them. 
uh, I didn't know anything about anything back in the day. I was just like, Ooh, I like this, but they had these, uh, the, the copywriting was kind of like this, mm, it wasn't a manifesto, but it was kind of like a, a poetry of sorts, I think mm-hmm. writing and the, and the typography was just very much, uh, not kinetic, but just kind of moving down the page. It was For just like a time. single page ad. Yeah. And I yeah, just like remember, different type of different size of letter forms. Yeah, and I, I, yeah. I kind of remember And I those. just remember staring at it. I mean, like, I don't know what this is, but I really like it because I, I liked a lot of visual things, uh, as a kid growing up, but I couldn't draw as good as I wanted to. So therefore I just thought I can't draw period. Right. It's like, Oh, if I, if I can't draw Abraham Lincoln's face perfectly from memory, then, you know, get out of here with that trash. So I remember seeing something like that and kind of thinking like, Oh, like you don't have to be able to draw to arrange those elements on a, on a page, I don't know. I just kind of remember thinking like, Oh, I really like looking at that. Yeah. That was probably the earliest one. And, um, was it, uh, I'm trying to think like, not that it matters. I'm thinking like, would that be like David Carson type stuff or no, it wasn't that crazy. It wasn't that distressed and illegible. It wasn't like typography as texture. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just more, uh, yeah, I guess it makes sense. Cause it was like, I'm sure whatever we should look it up maybe after this, but, um, you know, just like how poetry is laid out. Oftentimes it's the spacing and the line breaks and everything. So it was more like taking what you might see in a poetry book mm-hmm. with type formatting and then just kind of jacking it up. And I think if I remember right, it was probably also playing with the landscape of the photo. Mm-hmm. So I, it was some kind of like ACG trail running thing or something oh, cool. like that. I think I what, could be making all this up. What's that? How old were you about Oh, I was in middle school. I think it was like in sixth or seventh grade. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I mean, for the most part, growing up though, as a kid, I was super into uh, music, um, played a lot of chess, was in chess club. Um, and I wrote a lot. Actually, yeah, I didn't do anything visual until like junior or senior year. And even though, like I said, I grew up in the literal middle of nowhere, um, <laughs> For some reason, I guess we did good on our standardized Missouri Mastery and Achievement test. So we got funding for these nice computer labs. Oh, okay. So we had like those nice IMAX, mm-hmm. the, the colored ones. ones. Yeah, yeah, back in the day. Uh, I didn't work on those. I think they use those for like the high school video yearbook thing. But we had all these computer labs and they were like HTML. So we were making like our own websites like 98, 99. Did you have dial up or was it? Yeah. Okay. It was slow. Yeah. But real slow. Um, and, um, we were just like making geo cities websites and stuff like that. What was, what was that like? What was your first memory of the internet? Like, because you grew up in a pretty rural area Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you have, yeah. I mean, we, we didn't even get cable at our house. This is how far in the middle of nowhere. We didn't even get cable, to, I think, till I was like a senior. Um, if you wanted all that, you had, remember those like giant satellites? Oh, yeah. I mean, like <laughs> six feet wide. Yep. Like those big ones mm-hmm. talking to space, big ones. You had to have that. And those cost a fortune back then. And we were kind of not that wealthy growing up in the <laughs> middle of nowhere on our what could have been a sweet meth compound facility, <laughs> uh, actually just a double wide trailer anyway. Yeah. So the internet it was dial up. And I think the thing I thought was the coolest was, um, I could get uh drumline music. Mm. 
So I, and we didn't even, actually I had to walk to my uncle's house like a mile down the gravel road to use their computer and I'd pull down like drumline music and then print it out and then take it home and practice. Oh, you're talking about sheet music. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't be downloading files yet because it would have been too huge. Yeah. And I mean, I was just like, dude, I just, I just want to know what the transcription of XYZ was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so obviously uh, drumline and drumming, uh, what's the specific type of drumming? Uh, it's just like rudimental drumming. So anyone that plays in a drumline, um, stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's really popular now. I guess I kind of haven't realized it in the sense, I mean, it's not, but compared to the nineties, um, Beyonce's performance at Coachella, they had a big drumline. I've seen a ton of stuff, guys on YouTube, guys and girls on YouTube. They'll, it's incredible what they'll do. They'll take like some pop song that's trending Mm -hmm. they'll put like a practice pad out and they'll like play along with it and do like all these crazy stick tricks or they'll like this one guy just does these crazy he's from baltimore he does all these crazy dances like what's that song the country one old town road oh my gosh oh yeah he had a cowboy hat on i love it and he was just doing the just the funniest goofy dances and have you heard the story behind that song no Oh, it's so good. So Lil Nas X, he wrote that song, mm-hmm. Old Town Road, and it was chiming, cl- chiming, climbing the country charts, and uh, Billboard Country took it down because it wasn't country. Oh. So he said, all right. So he gets Billy Ray Cyrus to join with him on the remix, and that climbs the charts. So it basically unveiled this hugely racist... Uh, kind of look at what is and what isn't country music one one it it is racist and then two that he didn't go through the nashville system in order to achieve uh entrance to the billboard charts the country charts to me there's so much irony there especially if you look at country music in the 90s 80s versus whatever's been happening the last 20 years yeah because in my opinion it's like I don't like any of it. I like country music. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like Patsy Cline. I like Real even country. Garth Brooks. Yeah. And that's when it got more pop in the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. But it was still had its roots. Like stuff I hear now, I'm just like, oh, this is just trash. Sorry, just my opinion, but I'm just like, oh, this is trash. Well, I think that it has definitely... Um... So it's, so it's a, sorry, it's just ironic to me. Like <laughs> you're going to say what is and isn't country when mm-hmm. you yourselves, I mean, what are like, borrowing from hip hop and other kinds of music uh, unrepentantly? Mm-hmm. Like, um, mm-hmm. I can't even think of those guys' names that they auto tune everything and they toured yeah. with Nelly. Uh-huh. Um, I, 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 don't, I can't remember their names, but um, it is, it's, it's such a, uh, it's such a um, unrepentant stealing of and then failing to address. Uh, when someone does make a popular country song that's not in the system and that's not a white guy. It's also a bummer to me. I was listening to some stuff the past week or two because I, I, one thing I just do for myself and I'm getting older, so I don't know all like the, I'm not whoever the latest and greatest is, but I, I'll try and put like these mixtapes together, mixtape, Spotify playlist together, <laughs> yeah, usually for like a, one per season at least or sometimes like, for whatever. And I was listening to some stuff, I guess it's from maybe the seventies. Um, 
just like J.J. Kale and uh, Ted Lucas and these guys. It's incredible. I mean, just one acoustic guitar and they just have these wonderful voices and just singing like these smooth ballads and it's so good. And it's, it's like, what just makes me shake my head is like, there's, I feel like there's such a place for that in 2019. Like, why doesn't anyone just go back to the vaults Yeah, and make, and then I'm not saying make stuff that isn't fresh, but I think they're that country music has a place, mm-hmm. but they're just, in my opinion, it's like, they're just trying to go every direction that isn't their roots. And that's what makes it special. Yeah. And to be fair, there are the more rootsier country artists as well out there. You know, I think, um, uh, I'm trying to think of some Sturgill Thompson and, mm. and maybe, uh, um, who's the guy that, uh, played with, um, uh, Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson, uh, Waylon, mm. his son, I think is a mm. little more, uh, attuned yeah. to that. And Hey, disclaimer, don't at me because I don't even listen. There's probably examples of what I just said. And I, yeah. I'm just totally clueless cause I not in that world. So whatever. <laughs> yes. Massive audience. Don't at him. Don't at me. So, um, back to the internet, you were, (laughs) Oh, right. You were Uh, downloading drumline music to play at home. And then, uh, that was your first, like, Oh my God, this has uh, limitless possibilities. I can tap into other things as well. And then did you start to, you got the blueberry max at school? Were you able then to put like Photoshop and illustrator onto those? Not quite. Well, how it was, was so yeah, so that was like early internet. I'm like, oh, I just want, you know, drumline music because I'm practicing stuff. Um, but then once I had like a HTML class and then like a marketing class, um, then it was kind of like, oh, like you can you can code these basic HTML websites in 1998, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, the most basic of things. But then you, it was like, oh, well, we need these are just tables and rows and columns. Like we need graphics to put in there. Uh, um, so then, um, it wasn't Photoshop. It was called Jask J A S C. I think photo paint pro that I somehow got a copy of. I vaguely remember that. It's like junior Photoshop. Yeah. Corel draw plus. (laughs) Not even even good as as not even that. Um, (laughs) so it started there and then, you know, I'm in high school. Like I don't have any money. Um, and this is before everything was subscription model. So then you just, what did we get, get a copy? I don't somehow. know. Somehow <laughs> I got software. Actually, you know, it was bigger then was flash. Like you actually, hmm. you could make a lot of the graphics in flash. You could make the whole website in flash, which I actually liked back in the day because I was so terrible at coding Granted, Flash had its own coding language, ActionScript. Yeah, but, but it had the thing that helped you, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And they like took that could, away. <laughs> yeah. Um, I forget what it was called, but it was basically a palette that helped you uh, write code easily. Mm-hmm. And you could do just perfect absolute positioning mm-hmm. all inside of Flash. You could just be like, this is going to be here, that's going to be here. Um, Action like, scripting. Yeah. yeah, and then like uh, back in the day, like Flash intros were a thing. Oh, yeah. And so that was just like early <laughs> animation and then everyone ported over to After Effects and stuff like that. But, but yeah, like the early internet days, um, there's just a whole scene. Um, like, early, like the original blogs, I think, were 
were like design portals like K10K, 3O, Surf Station. There's one in Australia called Design is Kinky. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyroy, I think Christian Zander did that one out in Denmark. News Today. News Today, that came a little bit later. Um, it was a whole scene, man, and everyone was just like very encouraging and it was kind of like, oh, like people just made so much personal work and we're just having fun with it. Yeah. Um, and it was just kind of like, Oh, what's so-and-so going to do next? Um, and I was just happy to watch. Uh, I was terrible back then. Um, with Jask. Yeah. With Jask. <laughs> well, even when I had better things, like I was just like, I would have just been happy to have been featured or mentioned or have been good enough to maybe even be mentioned on one of those blogs. Sure which happened eventually, which was, but looking back, the work was whatever, but that's the thing. Like the talent level is so much, I mean, people coming out of school now, it's like, Oh goodness gracious. They're, they're so good. The bar is just raised on every level. Um, so yeah, it's just different times. So what did, uh, you eventually got a copy of illustrator and Photoshop mm-hmm. and, and started working with those yeah. while you were in high school still. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think so. Yeah. Like, well, I was in high school and then I, um, I moved out to Phoenix and I was just doing some kind of volunteer work out there and I had some family members out there. And then that's when I got introduced to, had you traveled much before that? No, not a lot. So this was your first trip. Kind of out West. Oh, a, a bit. Yeah. 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 Not a lot of travel. I mean, Branson, Missouri. Yeah. Like of the Ozarks. <laughs> Silver Dollar City. Boy. Silver Dollar City. Come on. <laughs> Hey, um, no, but in Phoenix, so I met a guy named Seth Erickson and he was a legit designer. He was very good. Um, how'd you meet him? Um, we got introduced through a friend who someone knew I was a designer and like, Oh, you should meet Seth. Um, so I would go and he was maybe six years older than me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would go over to his house all the time and just watch him design. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> like, Hey, I'm just going to eat snacks and, and watch you design. Cause you're really good at it. How are you um, kerning that? Yeah, exactly. And I had so many questions cause I knew I wasn't that good, but I wanted to be better. So I was just like, well, what's, what's the math formula for getting better? And so I would ask questions all the time. And I think he eventually got sick of it and was like, <laughs> I don't know. Or he would just say, go play, just play, just make stuff. I'm like, that's a terrible answer. That doesn't fix any of why my design is hot garbage, you know, because <laughs> again, I'm just straight out of high school. I'm yeah. not in college. What was the decision? Like was college a choice or you just, yeah. Right? It, um, yeah, I actually wanted to be a music education major back in the day. So it's just a huge band kid, band mm. choir, just love all that stuff. I still do. Like, I think that would be so fun to do. Um, right. No, I just, I was like, maybe I'll do it later. Maybe I won't. I don't know. I was just an idiot, basically. You know, like that's the that's the best part about ages eighteen through twenty four, twenty five. You're so dumb yeah. that you can take the biggest risks. That you know, as you get older, you look back and you're like, "Oh, I'd never do that again." Right? What are you an idiot? Yeah. Like, yeah. yes, I, I, I was. Like, you, you're so ignorant <laughs> of risk. Like, you don't know how things could just totally unravel and you're like it'll work out yeah you well just it's have this blind it's a your optimism you're basically going back and forth through confidence and lack of confidence and it's just jettisoning 
everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, it's obviously a formative period. Your brain is still growing mm-hmm. until you're 25. So it's just kind of, you make risks, but you don't even realize that they're risk until later. And then you don't realize the the luck of things and people that you stumbled into and how it just worked out, which when you're older, I feel like it's harder. You're like, how in the hell am I ever going to do something like I did before again? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now, but, um, (laughs) get to that in a minute. Um, but yeah, so earlier, um, uh, so Seth, he, he then was like, you need to meet my friend, Mike. He has a large book collection. I was like, Oh, he lives in Minnesota. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay. I mean, it felt like a movie, like the three eyed Gina, which is crazy. Yeah, that was, I was going to do my big review. Oh, sorry. Shit. It's okay. Um, yeah, it basically felt like the three eyed Raven, like, Oh, you must meet this. So, um, (laughs) he gave me Mike's email address and this Mike turned out to be Michael freaking Gina, who like one of the most prolific designers, artist. Yeah. Just entrepreneurs. Oh, good. Good grief. Just. I mean, he did Disney's custom typeface. He did MTV's website back in like 2001. I mean, it's endless. Which was a big deal. I mean... If any design person is listening to this right now and doesn't know who Mike Gina is, you just need to look it up. It's C-I-N-A. And also part of this podcast, I'm going to start doing a table of contents um, so people can easily find out what we're talking about. Oh, yeah, that's that's good. I do that a lot with conversations. If I'm out at dinner with someone and we're just covering a lot of... I'll do an appendix email follow-up. Yeah. Because there's so many times you're talking, you're like, I don't get my phone out. And it's like, oh, yeah, you got to... It's a great habit, actually, Hmm. Um, especially like in business meetings. Always go to your email, have bullet points. Here's Hmm. the key things that we talked about. Here's some references to look at. It just makes it feel like a, not a wasted hour mm, yeah. or two, you know, and hopefully that's what I'm trying to do with this uh, table of contents thing. Fantastic. But anyways, you got Mike's email. Right. And you so just he, out of the blue emailing. <laughs> yeah. And he was nice enough to even write back because that was even peak. Like there was an age of like internet design rock stars back then, like Joshua Davis, G-Monk, Mike Young, Mike China. Jim Agura, um, who else? Just a lot of these people that are the, the freaking designers Republic. Mm-hmm. I mean, like studios that people know now, like universal, everything, uh, build mm-hmm. like Michael C place and Mike and Matt Pike were just employees at the, like that designers Republic was the most stacked <laughs> and they were from the run through the nineties through, um, early to that. Just amazing. That's another, th- anyway, Keep getting distracted. But yeah, so Mike Mike was nice enough to even write back. And he was like, well, um, send me some of your work and I'll take a look at it. Um, and this s- is also in an early phase of the internet to where, you know, it, <laughs> it kind of sounds ridiculous now, but like the chances of you emailing somebody that you admire and then responding back mm-hmm. to you nowadays mm-hmm. are way lower, I think, than mm-hmm. they were 15 years ago. Yeah, true. Like I could, you could email someone famous now. Yeah. But that's kind of changed into Twitter where Mm. you can potentially get someone who you look up to, to respond to you, Mm. but it's just either, you know, a like or a, yeah, I got really excited maybe three years ago when I sent out a tweet Mm. being very praiseworthy of, uh, Leslie Odom Jr.'s Christmas album. Uh, and he was Aaron Burr in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And he wrote back and said, 
thanks, Josh, with an exclamation point. And I took a <laughs> screenshot of it. And then I posted the screenshot on Facebook. And celebrities, they're just like us. Yeah. You know, it made me feel very special. Um, anyway, so Mike was like, yeah, y- all your work's really bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's maybe like one tiny little corner of one thing. He was like, this part here is kind of okay. Um, but so he, he gave me a book list of, of books to get. Um, and he was even nice enough to be like, Oh, here's like where you can order them from online. This was before Amazon had everything. Um, so I was getting like old design books, like Emil Ruder typography, Joseph Muller Brockman's grid system book. How are um, you buying them? Did you have a job? Yeah. Oh, sorry. So I was, I was okay enough to get a job making website stuff, mm-hmm. uh, in St. Louis. Um, so I would just basically spend all my, I lived at home still in the meth facility in the middle of nowhere. I would drive into St. Louis ish. Um, and I would spend all my money on books. And so I would just design all the time. Um, so it was kind of like my college basically was just reading all these books and just working all the time, designing Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, and then I had made some friends when I was in Phoenix that were then out in San Diego and I remembered visiting San Diego and it just felt like, you know, as a kid that grew up in rural Missouri, like if you ever drive into San Diego from the 10 and you come, go up into the mountains, mountains-ish, you know, you come down through Alpine into San Diego and it just Blows feels like Jurassic Park, you know, and it's like, and you're like, oh my gosh. And you're just kind of, you just feel like I've discovered I, this is the answer. Like we should all live here. <laughs> and I think everyone thought that and that's that's why it's so crowded there now but um it was fantastic so I really was like I really like the idea of I'm gonna go to California yeah. um so I had some friends out there I, I had I knew I had some couches I could crash on um and so I moved out to San Diego and within the first week there was With just no like, job or anything no yeah. no job Again, total, I'm an idiot. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like this, this only works because I'm so naive and, mm-hmm. and ignorant basically. Um, and you were 19, 20? Yeah. 20? Okay. 20. Yeah. Um, anyway. And so I went to this one store cause that's the thing when you grow up and say, like you hear about cool stores. And again, this is this, for context, you know, it's still like 2003, like the internet isn't what it, it still wasn't fully yeah. what it is now. So it was kind of a thing to like, Oh, I got to check out this cool store, or this gallery or something. Cause like a, like a music store or yeah. Oh, well, it was a store called the igloo shop that Gary Benzel ran. Um, and he doesn't run it anymore. And Gary Benzel is another OG design God. Who's really low key. Um, I don't even know him. Yeah. He's so chill. He's the nicest person I've ever met. Nice. Like the nicest, most talented. He might be an angel, like a design angel, maybe. Uh, so he had, he also ran Green Lady, which was like a, a small streetwear label um, back in the 90s and, and early 2000s. And he did that with Todd St. John. And they also did together Hunter Gatherer. Todd St. John's in New York, I believe. And um, I don't know what he's up to now, but he's still, he makes... Uh, really cool art pieces and, and things like that. But any, anyway, so I met Gary and yeah, I'm just like, Hey, I'm 20 <laughs> years old and I just moved here and I looking for design work. And so he gave me the name of a guy who owned an ad agency. And then I 
sent him an email and in the subject was like, oh, Gary Benzel sent me. So I don't even think the guy would have looked at my email mm-hmm. if I didn't have Gary's name. Right. Because this, this character was kind of crazy. And what was Chena? You were just still going back and forth yeah, with Chena. Yeah, I was just, you know, trying to snatch the pebble from his hand. <laughs> I, I still never have because he's insane. He's so good. Um, yeah, so then I had a then I had like my first advertising gig and that just went in for an interview and it's like, I like your work. You seem to like grid systems. You're hired. It's like, oh, so the, that was easy. I feel like that there's a, a you might be just kindly glossing over some of the key elements in terms of like, how did you go from being, uh, you know, just this kid sending Chena some stuff to being like, oh, you got your first job at the age of 20. You're hired. This is great work. Like you just uh, really studied the books that hard. Well, yeah, so that kept whole, up on yeah, the like that whole and, time for like a year and a half, like I was making stuff and mm-hmm. putting it and working on my website and I would release new versions of my website and I was making personal work. And, and then how did you know, what was your feedback system? Like, how did you know if it was good or not besides your own personal taste? Um, or did you not? You, you, you know, it's, it. Not everybody does, though. That's what I, you know. That's well, you what, know, it's. I, I knew it was getting better, but mm-hmm. at the same time, like the, like the feedback loop. I, I could even look at stuff from like six months, three months before, and be like, "Oh, this is the worst. Why mm-hmm. did like you idiot?" Like that's, I think, how rapidly I could feel like my eye was get, or you know, what I mean, like your sense of yeah, like oh, that's not as like I could make that better. So, so there was that, but but even now, I'm like I'm thinking of in my head what some of that stuff looked like. I'm like, it was, it was okay. Um, I don't think much of it stands the test of time because it would never be on my website now, but yeah, something had to click though. (laughs) You know, like there is a, um, I think there's degrees of developing taste and like everybody knows the Ira glass, Mm, um, mm -hmm. taste or the Mm -hmm. definition of of developing your skill set and your taste. And, I am thinking back to when we were working together and you kept telling me things weren't good and I didn't know why. And then eventually something clicked and I got a bit of taste. You know, I got a bit of understanding of like, oh, like I am outside of my fishbowl. I'm in a bigger fishbowl Mm -hmm. and I now understand why this previous work wasn't that good. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to trying to define like that uh how that happened for you as well you know and it's like maybe part of the uniqueness of your path is that you were able to see what was good and what wasn't at an early age maybe it was also too just a lot of work i remember i was uh, helping out with one group putting in the time Yeah, yeah like i literally you know, and this is, I think, too, like a, just a college age kid thing. But like I had a sleeping bag under this little desk I had and I <laughs> would do a lot of all nighters and I was just really geeked on it, um, really into it, um, which is good and bad. So th- I think later I came to realize like, oh, I actually have ADHD on a certain level so I can get really focused on something or into it. But then the negative thing is sometimes I lose interest or get bored mm. and then you don't want to do it at all. Right. <laughs> so I think, I think longevity, uh, in your, in a, especially for a design career, it's no one talks. I think about the difficulty of that. Um, and I remember telling a lot of designers 
that are in their 20s or they're just getting into the industry. It's like their first or second year, you know, out of out of school. And you, you hear a lot of frustrations and and just kind of like telling them like, yeah, that, that's normal. Like I wanted to do something else, even with having quote unquote success from an early age or, you know, I was getting paid money to do design. Um, I still wanted to switch careers about every three years <laughs> until I turned 30, maybe. <laughs> yeah. What else did you want to do? You're just like, um, I've, I seriously thought about going back. I got so burnt out on adver- advertising. Okay, this is another thing within design industry. Um, it can be advertising. It could be product design for like apps and stuff. Now it could be um, print, identity. You know, there's just so many buckets for it but advertising in particular is a funny thing that I feel like I've said this before I'm like if you don't know what you want to do in life go work in advertising because it will come out of you because you won't want to do advertising for too long and then you'll go you'll find what you really want to do like I I know people I've worked with that left went to Yale uh, to become a like a doula and have massive. I know one person who she went to a, a, Yale to be a doula. Mm-hmm, Do you, I, I didn't know so. you had to go to well I, an Ivy she, League school. No, you that. don't. I just think I don't know. She it was, just worked out that way. She's a badass. And yeah, yeah. I was like, because a doula to, is a midwife, right? Yeah, Helps and I might be delivery. messing things in that world. But she went to Yale. Okay. Anyway, she's incredible. Another person just got into acting recently. Yeah, and well, and she, well. She was a producer, mm-hmm. not a, a, a designer, but still you're working in that industry and it's kind of like, oh my goodness. Um, anyway, so I, yeah, I had wanted to go back to school for, or just go to school period because I'd never went because I was like, oh, I have to pay you, I have to stop making money and pay you money to get a piece of paper for what I'm already making money for. So yeah. it just didn't make sense to me. Um, but I did think about going to school f- for the music education thing. I seriously considered that for a bit. Um, at another point, I was like, maybe I'll just try and be a doctor, which is the, just the stupidest thing in the world. <laughs> I, I was in a dark place there. Where I was just like, what's the furthest? That was like an 07 working for a certain agency that was yeah, like uh, m- mental abuse, maybe. It was kind of like that Whiplash <laughs> movie, but advertising. And, and you weren't learning like anything. Tyrant <laughs> that would just emotionally and psychologically abuse you every day. And I was like, well, I could be a doctor. I could just, I could just learn all the doctor things and go far, far away from here now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, stuff like that. So it's just, you know, it's not the easiest industry. And I feel like, especially in 2019 or even like the last five years, there's just so much like follow your bliss, the, oh, the hustle, the grind, the, and Hey, I, I think I have a certain reputation of, people that have worked with me being like, you're a nice guy or you're, you're in a good mood or you like, you know, I'm not like a, a big Debbie downer, but I will acknowledge that it's, there's so much of this over the top positivity that mm-hmm. people don't, I think in a healthy way, talk about like, yeah, it's not the easiest industry. It's not like, it's not easy to be creative for a living. Right. It's not like there's peaks and valleys and there's, times where you're just kind of numb or you um, maybe had a good year, maybe had a bad year. And it's, 
I don't feel like that is talked, and I'm not trying to say this in a negative way. I'm just trying to say like, it's not discussed as much publicly. I think it's discussed a lot in one-on-one coffee meetings, Mm -hmm. but you're not seeing it from the stage in design conferences or no, or no, things no. like that. Yeah. So, um, you back to the first job, then you got this mm-hmm. first job mm-hmm. in the ad agency. Mm-hmm. Um, was this in San Diego? Mm-hmm. Um, and can you tell us which one? <laughs> yeah, it was called Lambesis. Okay. I think there's, um, this was when they were in Carlsbad. I think they're actually in La Jolla now. Um, I think they moved. I think they were originally in La Jolla, then they went up to Carlsbad and back to La Jolla. Um, but they did the their big like big claim to fame was all the Airwalk stuff in the nineties. Oh yeah, which super good, really cool stuff. Um, did you work on that? No, hmm. the, I got there in two thousand three. Mm-hmm. So that was post Airwalk, but we did um, Sky Vodka. Um, we did BB or Bebe. Is that, did they bankrupt yet? I think they're bankrupt. The shoes? No, like what? BB, like the women's clothing. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea. I don't know if you know if they're still around. Bebe's um, kids. Bebe's kids. <laughs> um, so it was a lot of like high fashion luxury kind of stuff. Um, they didn't do a lot of TV, but they were really good at just, it's, you really don't see it anymore, but it's just print like ads. print ads, yeah. but done so well like just pieces of art basically but Mm -hmm. that also told these stories now the negative thing is a lot of them were very incredibly misogynistic were Mm -hmm. over the top excess consumerism so i mean this is the ads are the people maybe both (laughs) that the messaging like yeah yeah it was not the greatest at all um and, you know, that's kind of ramping up. That was like that early 2000s, like, mm-hmm. everyone's getting Hummers. Hummers are cool. Like, <laughs> and luxury is cool. And, you know, this is before, you know, any type of sustainability. Like, it was just oh, yeah. cool to be well, over the top money. And then it's funny that you talk about the brands because I remember thinking about it. And maybe this is something that has to do with age as well. But, like, I remember looking at your portfolio and I'm like, oh my God, Sky Vodka. And I've never even drank Sky Vodka at Mm -hmm. this point, but it was a brand. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a a nationally or internationally Mm -hmm. recognized brand. Mm -hmm. And as a young designer, you're like, he did work that is visible throughout the entire world. Mm -hmm. You know, and nowadays, I I believe that's got to still be important for young creatives. But to me, it's like, who gives a shit? It, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It loses its luster because I, yeah, for sure. Um, that, that was another thing then later in my career getting to be at these agencies that like I grew up, the allure starts to fade pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, it's, you learn a lot. So, so I grew up in the nineties, man, making, um, I would, <laughs> I'd make like commercial mixtapes. Basically I always had in the VCR, my tape in, <laughs> And there were certain commercials that I thought were so funny or so cool. Like I love the Larry Johnson, Grandma Ma stuff or Converse. Oh, yeah. Spike Lee stuff. I love yeah. the rallies, cha-ching stuff with uh-huh. Seth, Robot Chicken Guy. Yeah. He yeah. was in those. Yeah. Um, they're just like, that's so funny. Um, at all the Charles Barkley stuff. Um, and then come to find out, like I didn't know there were agencies. I, I just knew it's commercial on TV. I think it's funny. I record them. And then as I got older, I'm like, oh, like 
a lot of those came from the same place. Even like that print ad I talked about, the Nike ACG thing. I think that was like a Susan Hoffman. She probably worked on it as the art director uh-huh. at, at Wyden and Kennedy in the 90s. Um, so then, like later in life, uh, we're skipping ahead, but whatever. Later in life, I get it. I work at Wyden. That's what brought me to Portland was working at Wyden and Kennedy. And so I did that for three years or so. But And yeah, some of the most talented, smart, funny just you know they're just stacked with yeah. talent just incredible at the same time a lot of things we were like oh it's they're just people you know it's just and it's not like the emperor has no clothes it's not like that they're they're genu- they're people in these agencies are very very talented but like you also see ideas from the same super talented people are like oh like I personally don't think that's good at all. But then the next thing they might do is, is genius. So it just kind of makes you feel like, Oh, okay. There's, there's no golden. Was it a golden bullet? Is that yeah. the phrase? There's no, there's no, uh, uh Don Draper. There's no, uh, yeah, there's Alex no Bogusky's El Dorado. A thousand there's, bad ideas for all of his good ideas. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and even like with the, uh, Bogusky stuff, I mean that era of what they did, from like the late nineties through the two thousands. I don't know if that'll ever happen again. Um, well, you know, he's back. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I love all the, the stuff he's been putting out to me. That's funny though, because again, we're jumping ahead, but it's like, I don't know why you would ever want to go back when he is won the game basically. (laughs) Well, yeah. Won the end game. And then, um, developed all these different potential methods for uh, building income. And like he had that, uh, the fearless force mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. little cabin that mm-hmm. he set up as a, a, what was it called? Common mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and developing advertising campaigns for, you know, things that address the common good. Mm-hmm. And then he slowly faded away. You know, maybe his, maybe his fires got uh, quenched a little bit. And then the next thing I hear is uh, Alex Boguski is going back to CPNB. If you need to sneeze, you can sneeze. It's all right. <laughs> this is real life. Excuse me. Real life. I'm good. Thank you. And so it's just, to me, I'm like, why the hell would you ever go back into that game unless, you know, he had to or no. he felt that he needed to make... Um, no, uh, he's forever rich just yeah. from the sale of... when Of if CPB. You, if you... <laughs> like, that's a, that's a serious actual game plan is you could try to start an agency yeah get it built up enough to where you can sell it whether you do good work or not or even care sell it and then work your required years from the buyout like you have to stay on for like however Mm -hmm. many years Mm -hmm. get all your payouts and then you're good like you're a millionaire I mean, there there are people that do that serially. Uh, oh yeah, entrepreneurs. endlessly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but yeah, this is just like the design or creative, whatever equivalent of it. But. Sure. No, I mean like serial agency owners for oh. sure. That I know a few in the Midwest, okay. and they just keep setting up agencies. I, don't think I could do that. It's so hard. Well, it it just seems like it'd be how do you redefine yourself, and then how do you not steal your previous work connections from your old agency while building the new agency? Yeah, like I am terrible at all of that. I'm the worst new business person. <laughs> I'm a. Fr- I've been in. What year is this? I've been freelancing. This is year five now, I think, and. Uh, I 
I feel like I'm just very lucky. Like I don't go to a lot of events. I don't email a lot of people. I've just been very fortunate that people email me. <laughs> uh, I think my luck is running out. This year has not been great. So I need to probably put myself out there more, Aye. but, um, but yeah, it's, that stuff is so much work. I, my, I'm just not built for it. I don't care enough. But back in 2003, oh, you're just sure. loving life, knocking out these print ads. Well, for sure. In 2003, <laughs> I was ready to just, you know, give my life over to Cthulhu, the design god. <laughs> Cthulhu. <laughs> you know, here I am, Cthulhu, send me. You know what I Use mean? Use me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where now it's like, uh, you know, I... I it's, uh, I don't know. I still, I worked on a project earlier this year that I was, that was very enjoyable. And there's, you know, times where you just kind of lose yourself working on it and you're uh-huh. just very much enjoying it and the work is good. And then there's other times where you're like, I don't really feel like making anything <laughs> or you're like scanning through social media and you're like this, all this stuff is amazing. Um, and it is, it's amazing. But sometimes you're like, but I don't have any desire to, to keep up. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. It goes in phases. I, maybe that's just part of getting older too. Well, I think that's the part of the mindset of any creative. Honestly, I think it's something to where you have, um, seasons of one feeling like you're faking it, uh, that you don't belong. Mm -hmm. Um, Two, there's too much good stuff coming out. What could I possibly add to the conversation? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the opposite of that as well, to where you're like, I'm a design god or I'm a mm-hmm. you know photographic god and I can mm-hmm. I'm on a roll lately and mm-hmm. getting good feedback and then you know, it's a very I think creatives tend to be by and large a little I guess bipolar for lack of a better word when it comes to uh, producing work. And it the ironic thing is is that I think it's um I think if 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 you tried to ignore that, you'd be better off. But maybe the work wouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's something to be said for just having a healthy outlook of where what you do fits into the world, and yeah. just having that healthy perspective. And it's not that you don't care about it, but you rightly see its position in the world for sure. Um, and I and I think that maybe just takes time and maybe age and wisdom to get to. I I definitely think when you're younger, you're just, you're so petty about everything and you're just, who said what, who made, and I think the older you get, you're like, it doesn't matter. I I remember one time this guy, this was in 2010. Mm -hmm. Wow. Nine years ago. Um, And I had done an illustration. This is back when people use Flickr. It's kind of like the, shout out. Yeah, Flickr. <laughs> Flickr was the original Instagram. People were putting their design work on it and getting lots of likes and comments. And and I had done an illustration of it's the the Tetris Castle, not Castle Church. You know the Tetris Church in Moscow, mm-hmm. Saint Peter's. Is it Saint Peter's? Saint Petersburg. It's got those like certain spirals, yeah. uh, very clear geometric patterns. The um, if you were to tell, you know, ten illustrators that do kind of vector type illustration work. Hey, uh, do a version of this. They'd probably all look pretty similar. Um, you know, cause it's just so geometric and, and then Mary Blair was a lot of people were kind of rediscovering her around that time. So I'm like, dude, it just all looks like Mary Blair anyway. Anyway, so I'd put it up and, and they made a big deal. They, they, they 
linked it on Twitter and they had a much bigger following than me. I've never been that giant of a presence on social media. And we're like, oh, great. Another person ripping me off. They never reached out to me first <laughs> to even ask about it. They, and I went and looked. I'm like, I've never even seen your this person's version of it. And I comment, and I even had like a timestamp. Like, hey, man, like I did this. You know, it wasn't even. But they never did a public apology. They never. But that's the thing. You're you're when you're in your twenties, all it this bothers like, you. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like I guess now uh, people use is that like there's like this dribble. dribble. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, when it first came out, I remember I threw some stuff up and then I just never even logged back in again. It's like, I don't. Well, I think it. it's, I never really got into that because it was just, you were showing snippets of work, details. You weren't necessarily showing the whole work in some respects. Yeah, and that, well, I think they, they, they. You dribble it out. Was well, the no, idea. I think what people started doing was they just use it as a portfolio thing. Yeah. And they. That's what it turned into for yeah. sure. But anyway, all that to say, like, you're super, I just feel like, as you get older, you're like, it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's not the biggest thing in the world. Like the world does not revolve around, um, design or advertising or even like, dude, even game of Thrones in two more weeks, the world will not revolve around game of Thrones. Well, this will, this will be released after that, but yeah, yeah. at the the time of this recording, right. We still have two more episodes of an abysmal season final season of game Gosh, of thrones <laughs> there's such there's hey it's a lot of work i the fact that it's that as successful as it is and what they've done with it is incredible i that would be a lot of pressure if you were the showrunner so yeah. i get it but they're tired man they're just like can we, we want to work on our next project now um <laughs> so then what year did you make the decision then to come back to missouri and why Oh, uh, that was in 2004. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had a crush on a girl. <laughs> so that, that was the biggest one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I was real burnt out on the, the ad agency I was at. And so what was your life like? Like having this, you know, adult job at a fairly young age without going to school and living in San Diego, just you just went from, you went from country boy to I'm in San Diego working on international brands. Obviously, there's a big culture shift that happens, and then you start to think like, okay, I know what I'm doing. I'm making good money. I know, you know, what's what's next? Missouri again. <laughs> no, I was so burnt out. It, uh, We worked really long hours. Like so. how, 80 hour? Sure. There, yeah. there were days, there were a lot of times where they would just be like, if you have plans this weekend, cancel them. Wow. And you kind of had, I mean, which is common. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. There was a lot of uh, certain pitches where you'd work through two whole weekends straight. Like you wouldn't have a day off for like over like 14, 15, 16 days. Um, just really late nights. So you're just so you'd be, you're kind of like a, it's like being a part of a cult, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just giving them everything. You don't, right. you, if you, even if you get off work at a normal time, you're, you're kind of so zonked. You're just like, uh, going to take a nap now, <laughs> stare at a wall. Um, no. So coming back to Missouri was fun. Um, I just really liked this girl. Um, so that was fun. And I met you. That was good. <laughs> but then that kind of ran its course. You, there yeah. was only so much good we could try and do for this, this organization. And then 
I knew I needed to, I wasn't happy in the Midwest necessarily. Uh, I still had friends in California. So then I went back in 07. Yeah. And then I was there 07 to. And were you feeling kind of reinvigorated? Like I, yeah. I went back to the Midwest, you know, did that thing, stayed there for a while, mm-hmm. done with that, ready to go back and feel renewed. Yeah. Oh, and you, were you still thinking of trying to get into uh, becoming a doctor or anything else at this time? Or No, that's when it happened. That's when that little episode, because I went back to mm-hmm. California, but I went back to the same agency and it's just kind of like, oh, that's it, right. It's like an abusive relationship where if you've just been away for a little bit, you're like, oh, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. They didn't throw me down the stairs that many times. Plus, it wasn't like. You didn't just go to Wideman Kennedy. No. You disappeared into Missouri for two years. Mm. No, no. Yeah, I, that's, yeah, that was four years later in 2011. Yeah. Um, yeah, so no, it was, I jumped back in and then it was like, oh, what have I done? Oh boy. And that's when I was like, maybe, maybe I can be a doctor or something. <laughs> um, yeah, and then was there, bounced around a bunch to different, shops in San Diego, just small ones. Um, there wasn't a lot there at the mm-hmm. time. Um, not like there is now, like basic hadn't started yet. Um, they're phenomenal mm-hmm. group in San Diego. Uh, they just had tremendous success the last few years. Have you worked with them at all or no? Mm-hmm. Well, um, one of my coworkers actually worked with them when, uh, when we were at Wyden and this, I, before basic was the, the giant that they are now, but they were Mm -hmm. working on some stuff. And I remember seeing a deck laying on a desk and I was like, Oh, who did this? This is amazing. They're like, Oh, it's this this group in Solana beach called basic. And I was like, this is incredible. (laughs) Yeah. They're, they're super good. There's actually a little, um, uh, there's a basic outpost in St. Louis. I heard about that office. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, one of my acquaintance buddies, JP Burks and, Mm. um, and uh, a developer, I don't know his name. Yeah. But yeah, they're uh, super talented and they're yeah. doing a lot Steve, right there. Yeah, Steve Denicus from, he used to work at Wyden, then he worked at Instrument, then he moved to San Diego to work at Basic. He's phenomenal uh, talent and just a really good leader, mm-hmm. really good energy, uh, just a great human. So yeah, he's there. Um, Matt Falk, the founder, he's a wonderful person. Awesome. Um, we chatted maybe a year ago. Um, he, I was very, I'd never met him before. I was just very, he's very down to earth. I was very impressed. I was like, oh, that's very refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think it's always nice when you meet someone or if someone's doing something and they're just, you know, normal Yeah. and not. Yeah. Because there's so much of that in this industry. People are just kind of weird. Or they're just Yeah, they are. And why is that? Because I, the- I think it's more advertising. I've seen the I've seen it the worst personal experience in advertising where it's like they're just it's a little too high on your own supply, you yeah. know? And that goes back to just seeing your work in context. It's like it's not that you don't take pride in it or you you don't try to perfect your craft, but you just understand um, where everything, your place in the world. And I think that goes with everything. Like there's, there's no reason for anyone to have ego. No. And it's, um, you know, it's a hard, it's a tricky conversation because I think, 
you know, I always think about what is the work that you've done that has the most emotional impact? I think that's a Sagmeister question, mm. honestly. And uh, he said, oh, I made my mom a t-shirt one time, or I made a t-shirt that says I love my mom and wore it on TV. And he's like, that's the best design work I've ever done. I love that. And I think I remember reading it in one of your books, Made You Look, maybe. Mm. And uh, once I read that, I immediately lost interest in creating work that had a large audience. Mm. Because I, I, I realized so much of the work from, you know, a fourth tier ad agency in St. Louis all the way to the coastal shops, so much of the work just ends up in the trash heap. Well, there's something to be said too, and this is what I learned. Literally. And yeah, it, working at the at these larger shops on like really big brands is that's the trade-off. Because there's such a large audience, there's so many stakeholders, there's so many, like the gauntlet that the work has to make it through <laughs> to be really good and yeah. be unscathed and not watered down. It's very rare. So I think it's, Honestly, probably most a lot of like the best work mm -hmm. is when you don't, it doesn't have a lot of approval layers. It doesn't, maybe it doesn't have the largest audience, but it's, it's really good. Yeah. I mean, it's almost, it feels unsafe in a way because it hasn't been, um, group thinked mm -hmm. to death mm -hmm. and thought like, Oh, who's this going to offend? Or mm -hmm. is this going to hit our specific target audience? You know, it's like, just put it out there, man. It's real. And it connects mm -hmm. with people. Yes, yeah, sure, some people might get pissed off for mm -hmm. something stupid, but it connects with people in a way. I think that is one of the powers of advertising and why we, uh, especially as children of the 80s and 90s, have such an impact drawn mm -hmm. from it, as well as there not being as much advertising when we were growing up. Mm -hmm. You know, we had maybe a couple streams of culture coming to us through TV, magazines, mm -hmm. and what else you know billboards <laughs> that connected the <laughs> yeah i mean there wasn't a whole lot of content to take yeah. in compared We're, with today oh today it's i mean it's maddening any brand is you're competing with youtubers that just make stuff you're competing like the battle for attention it's i can't i it's insane yeah, it's, we were just talking about this yesterday about netflix has so much fucking money they keep creating these new series and new movies that look from the outside, they look good. And then I told you, as I start watching them, I'm like, there is absolutely nothing here. This writing is flat. Mm. There's no plot. I don't care about these characters at all. Mm -hmm. But they have the money to make things look good. And that's so true with things in advertising today as well. There's a lot of money being spent in order to make things look good. But it's not necessarily iconic. There, I, you know, there are very few iconic ads. Um, and I think... Yeah, it's because... There's too many shareholders and there's too much uh, that people are, and rightly so, yeah. if I was an accountant or a CEO or, you know, in the C-suite, like a CMO who's, you know, they just play musical chairs and like, they're like NBA coaches or general managers. They're just, if you don't produce within a year, whatever, like you're gone. Yeah. Um, so, so I get it from that angle, but yeah, it's like anything now that that is good and iconic is somebody sticking their neck out a little bit like the when the format the, has changed as well Are yeah the, you know like the brand anthems don't necessarily ring home like they used to i think yeah, nike is probably one of the few brands that can still pull those off 
Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing too, is just even that kind of emotional format. Right. Um, these like, man, quote unquote, like manifesto spots, whatever. It's, people only have a certain appetite for so much of that. Right. I think that's the other thing too. It's like, yes, it could be effective, but it's, do people have the appetite for that right now? Is it the mm-hmm. right time to release that? Is it, is that what they want right now? It's, yeah. Because again, you've got your daily life with your own mental health, your own struggles, your own job, mm-hmm. your uh, family life, um, uh, the stuff you need to get done in the day, your job, whatever you work. And then <laughs> advertising or, or all this other stuff is in an Instagram story. It's in mm-hmm. your social feed. It's, it's just trying to poke in and get in there. Hey, and it's just hey. like people only have so much capacity to even digest something. I mean, right. they might see something, but they're so, their brain is so overwhelmed. It's. And everything is on demand. Yeah. You know, and, um, in our age that, you know, you would sit down and you had 10 channel, not even six channels to choose from mm-hmm. of just steady streams of whatever they want to put in your face. Mm-hmm. And now everything is so tailored and specific to you that you can, you can go down a wormhole of specific type of content, whatever mm-hmm. it may be, and never come out. And you don't need to because mm-hmm. you're tailoring your experiences and the things that you're taking into yourself, mm-hmm. which is good and bad. I think it, it, it creates kind of an echo chamber in a lot of ways, which we've obviously seen through social media and different groups and people not understanding other groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but it's also good because you, you get a focus on the things that matter to only you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the way for advertising to fit into that isn't the same as you know what we were necessarily influenced by. Mm-hmm. It's more subversive, I think. It needs to be a little, a little more clever. You know, the TV spots. I can't even. I can't even remember watching the last Super Bowl spots. I didn't care. You know, they come out three weeks ahead of the game now, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. It's like, <laughs> what's the point? There, nobody has delayed gratification for anything nowadays. And so when something truly original and new or interesting or clever or subversive in any way does make its way through, I think it does have a, a pretty good impact. But it's so hard to even think about how to do that. Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking a, a little bit about what you just said, even in regards to Game of Thrones, in that there's not a lot of things that are time-based where you have to wait for it. Yeah. You you will wait until mm-hmm. Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific time to be able to watch this or 9 p.m. Eastern time. And just that kind of community and kind of huddling around the... Yes. Uh, Which is a great... I it's To a me, nice that, it's a better model than yeah. the Netflix model. Mm. Because Netflix mm-hmm. is just like, all right, binge out, you bitches. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's not good for anybody. You know, the... I think it makes so much more sense to release these shows on a time-based schedule because it does build positive or negative press. People are going to be talking about it at a specific time, specific time and following through for that week. Mm-hmm. Whereas like you put the new, you know, back when House of Cards was in its prime, people watch it in one day, mm-hmm. which is insane. <laughs> Yeah, the other thing too, the, with the whole industry, the whole YouTube industry, or even podcast, YouTube, mm-hmm. all those kind of platforms where people, wh- whether it's audio or you're watching it on YouTube, um, just basically like um, 
it's like a sports network for Game of Thrones and they're just yeah. talking heads and oh my God. going into the theories. And That's the wormhole that it. I'm talking about. Yeah. It's like you can go down into all these fan channels yeah. talking about your favorite pieces of content and yeah. never come back if you don't want to. Well, and what makes that as powerful, especially for something like Game of Thrones, is it it's it's better when it's delayed. So you yeah. have a week and now for the next week, Hot takes. What do you got? Yep. Who's, you know what I mean? What's your, what's your conspiracy theory now? Like, how's this going to play out? Um, so hopefully there's maybe more of a shift to that because I think it is like a pleasant throwback to when, what was it like NBC, like must see TV or, you know, things like that. There's like things like the, or, yeah, the Friday good night, place. TGIF. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's other sitcom shows I think have that, uh, that are really nice, but um, yeah, it's just, it's, there's a maybe a balance between everything being on demand and then mm-hmm. these things that give us these nice rhythms, like a forced healthy rhythm of you will watch this, yeah. you will digest it, talk about it, and then you'll get another piece of candy in a week. Yeah, I think I think that's really healthy. I think I do too, and it's not necessarily ahead of the game. It's just saying, look, don't dump all mm-hmm. your content. You know, don't. Yeah. Don't dump something that's taken months or years to make. Yeah. Well, it's a pendulum swing, right? Yeah. It goes into Netflix has some success and then, and then everyone just releases everything. All yeah. Months. And then I think... Like, get out the door. You know, there's a, yeah, there's a balance with all that. For sure. Um, that's a nice little tangent. Um, so then you started working at other agencies. You jumped to Crispin Porter for a little bit in, mm-hmm. Bo- in Boulder. Mm-hmm. Then you ended up then at Wyden Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. I sat next to a freelancer at Crispin, uh, Katie Meza. She's a fantastic human. She is a designer. She lives in San Francisco in the Bay Area. Um, and we sat next to each other because they didn't have enough seats. So I had to sit. Like Katie and I, she's like, she's a freelancer. So like, oh, you can just sit over here. Mm-hmm. I sat next to her. Um, but it, it was very, very serendipitous because her next gig – um, after being at, at Crispin was at Wyden. And so we had just stayed in touch. And then when she was at Wyden, she knew that I wasn't really the happiest in Boulder. Um, there's just really long hours at Crispin. It's like, Ooh, like <laughs> going into it, they're like, no, we have work-life balance. I'm like, Oh, okay. Cause what I've heard doesn't sound like that. <laughs> like, Oh, I got tricked. Um, so she and so at Wyden, she was like, I think you'd really like it here. You know, can I put your name forward? It's like, please. Because mm-hmm. I, I was like, I'll I'll go anywhere. And you didn't like Colorado that much, or did you? Um, I think, well, I, I was in Boulder. So I yeah. think I would have Boulder's enjoyed. Boulder's a little different. Yeah, it's it's something. I, I dig think it. I would have enjoyed weird. Denver. Yeah. Um, Denver's a little more uh, not, not, yeah. not cut off from the rest of society. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the hours were so long that yeah. it, it was just kind of like I wasn't happy there. So it just kind of, it was like rose tinted glasses in a negative way where I was like, Colorado, no. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So then, um, yeah. And then I, I went to, uh, interviewed at Wyden and then went out there, did that for a minute. And then, um, was it a better work life balance or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you still had some late nights sometimes or mm-hmm. weekend work, but it was way, way better. And, um, and like I say, it's the ultimate agency. <laughs> Cause if you, you gotta, if you don't know what it is, you need to Google Wyden Kennedy and 
the physical place is astonishing. Oh yeah, the Portland office for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know the other offices that well, but shoot, I'm trying to think of the architect's name or the. I cannot think of it. Well, it'll be in the table of contents. We'll it's in t- I mean, it's uh, inspiring, honestly, mm-hmm. to walk in there and to see large art mm-hmm. everywhere, and then the large atrium or the uh, common area mm-hmm. with the with the bleachers. And yeah, to walk around and and and. You just have in your mind, you're like, this is the best agency physically that could ever exist. You know, like if I could have my people and my friends build an agency mm-hmm. and this is what happened at the end of the day, that would be incredible. <laughs> yeah, it, it that is true. Um, even, even as I worked there and was kind of entering like the twilight of being there, where I was mm-hmm. kind of over it. Yeah. Yeah, and everyone like this is especially with these agencies. I think there's a lot of randomness. Like two people could go in and have vastly different experiences, and there's a lot of I don't want to say luck, but just kind of roll the die and like what you'll be working on. Mm -hmm. You know, some people have wonderful seasons at different places. Some people have vastly different ones. But yeah, even yeah, there's is it's a narrow uh, uh, narrow chance between doing cat food versus Nike. Sure, yeah, <laughs> and even it's like careful what you wish for because even some of those larger brands, people are like, oh, I've always wanted to work on this, and it's like, oh, careful <laughs> what you wish for because you end up working on. Well, no, I'm just saying that they can be very difficult. Like you can oh, you sure. can work like maybe I had one project for a client, a large client there, gave like six months of hard, like a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And we really thought it was all going to get produced. It's going to be this big thing. And then it's like, nope. And you're like, what do you mean? No, well, no, they don't. They don't want to move forward with it. You're like, but I, I just gave you six months of my life. God, like, I can't put that in my portfolio. Is it's that just uh, nothing? What does that feel like? I mean, literally six months of your it's, life. Yeah, it's a gut punch. It's that, that's its own type of mental health struggle of things like that where you work really hard and then nothing gets produced maybe that maybe it's that's similar to um, i have no idea maybe it's similar to architecture mm-hmm. but i think buildings usually get built <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what the other equivalent is where maybe it's like this in hollywood where it's lots of pilots and scripts and you work hard but it doesn't yeah. get picked up or, or something like that but yeah there's a there's a lot of stories of things that you would just like major brands like uh, i won't not going to say any names or anything because I'm a freelancer in town and Hey, you can trust me to respect your NDA, (laughs) but like large brands where they've actually went out, shot a commercial, paid the crew, went through post. It is ready to be deployed. Mm -hmm. Nope. Yeah. And it's sitting on, on a shelf somewhere like a Prince album. <laughs> exactly. Or like that Wu-Tang album. Yeah. Um, that Martin Scurley got. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> but you know what though, too, if these large brands, they, they have that right. And that's kind of part of, of seeing everything in context and, and reminding yourself like, this is my job. I'm being paid to come up with ideas and work on these things. And whether the client releases it or not, my job, like I was paid for my job, you know, I think we kind of forget that because because it does have consequences. I mean, whoever worked on that stuff, they can't, you can't put that on your website. You can't, you could maybe show it privately, but you'd have to be very, I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. that stuff is, you don't mess around with that stuff. So it's, and it's hard because 
especially in a creative industry, you are you're tapping into something that is close to uh, what defines you and what you're passionate about in order to create work that is great. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just the same as doing, uh, which I'm not discounting at all, but something like manual labor mm-hmm. where you learn a skill or, mm-hmm. or even, you know, like uh, information systems or mm-hmm. something where you don't have to exercise your creative muscle. And obviously as a creative, you're, you got a, something slightly more in touch with something that's going on in the universe and you're trying to translate that into a physical output. Mm-hmm. And then when you when you feel like you have done that and you've put some of your own aesthetic and feelings and emotion into a piece mm-hmm. and then it just gets canned, that's demoralizing. Yeah, it's you really do have to learn some kind of Jedi mental health <laughs> tricks. Um, you know, you, you have to be able to compartmentalize in a healthy way. And that's why most people in these industries, and especially advertising, they've always got side projects. Yeah, You've always got something where you're like, no one can touch this. Yeah, I will produce it and no one can cancel this. You know what I mean? So and you kind of have to, to, to keep your sanity. Totally. And I'm always amazed with um, some of my friends who are still so adamant about the work not being the way that they want it to be like they are working for a client who has the final say and regardless of whether you think it's right or wrong you can't get too passionately involved with it you almost have to put up a wall from the get-go and saying well okay they're the client you know that's just that even if it's wrong you have to build some defenses in there because it will quickly uh it will quickly end your positive mental attitude if you feel passionate about some work. And in a small way, that's kind of what you taught me when we worked together. Because as a young artist, um, I had that idea of developing these things and saying, shit, that looks great. And then send it over to you. And while you're like, yeah, it's aesthetically pleasing, but it's not right. That's not Mm -hmm. the right design Mm -hmm. or it's not even aesthetically pleasing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And I think, um, it's important to get uh, said no to frequently and often in order to set you up for the rest of the future. <laughs> yeah. And another level to that is that I guess you don't really hear talked about a lot is the ability to sell work, oh. sell ideas and um, just your relationship with the client and yeah. being in a place where you can be brutally honest Um and have that be received well, especially from the, from the terms of like, and this is how I see it. It's like, look, you're the one paying me money or, Mm -hmm. or this agency money or whatever. So it, it is our right. Like we would be bad. We would be bad humans for taking your money and not telling you what we really think. Yeah. Now, with the caveat that you can, that, that they can still say, we hear you we respectfully disagree and you'd be like that awesome. Okay. We'll do it this other way. But I think uh, that's the biggest thing I think with a lot of, Oh, I just use advertising as an example. Cause I think that's the hardest one to get good stuff produced is that goes back to a lot of classic work that's been produced that people are like, this was amazing. It's, it's yes, it's the agency, but it's also the client mm-hmm. and it's also whoever the 
wizard uh, personal relations one was that built that relationship that you have the level of trust, like all that Burger King stuff that that Crispin did in the 2000s and some of those. What was that, the king? Like uh, Find the King or? Well, they did like, they made like Xbox video games and they just were just They just personified the king. Yeah, Yeah. and they were just super, just did some weird stuff, but it was was all really effective. Like it, tons of that stuff, but it, it takes two. So it, I even have a lot of sympathy for if you're watching television, let's say right now during the NBA playoffs, and you see an ad or something on TV and you're like that, what? Like that doesn't even make sense. Like what specifically? Oh, who cares? I can't even <laughs> think of one, but y'all know what I mean. It's, yeah. you just see stuff and you're like, what was that even? What? But it, it's, you can't blame the agency necessarily. It's like, oh, that it probably originally was an idea that made sense and it watered down, watered down. Mm-hmm. And then it just comes out as like this monster, like this freakish Frankenstein monster <laughs> that makes no sense. So, yeah, that, that's another big thing too that not people talk about is that, that relationship with the client. How do you build that? And how do you, you know, be on the same level to, to do that. Like I had a project recently, um, with the nicest people I've ever worked with. Um, it wasn't through an agency. It was just a direct client. They're a brand here in Portland and they're in the education space. And they had, they had a lot of feedback often, but it was so smart. Like it was literally like having, I kind of felt bad because I was like, it felt like they were like these amazing art directors. Like they'd make mm-hmm. little comments of, of things that I didn't see. And I was like, Oh, that's a really good point. Go back and work on it. And the work got exponentially better. And it was this wonderful, it was the best experience I've ever had of, of they gave me free reign, but then through their feedback and collaboration, the work ended up better than it could have ever have been if I was just by myself Sure, and they gave me a blank check you know, and I made it and just said, here it is. Um, like that back and forth. It was, well, it's kind of what, it was you know, wonderful. one aspect of design and advertising, um, that may not also get talked about enough is that the constraints are important mm-hmm. and working within the constraints mm-hmm. and how, um, it's hard to do personal work if you haven't implemented any, implemented any constraints upon yourself, mm-hmm. whatever that may be like limit, limiting yourself to a certain, I don't know, like size or scale or typeface mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. whatever have you, that actually is the way to produce better work and the only way to get something done as well. Because if you're just like, okay, I've got every single typeface, every color, mm-hmm. everything at my disposal, every talent I've ever accumulated, mm-hmm. I'm going to do something with. Yeah, I think that's, that's it's almost like, um, like, I'm thinking of Steph Curry right now because the Warriors just won last night. It was fantastic. I just <laughs> dislike the Houston Rockets so much. I just, I just was daydreaming this morning about all the tears Chris Paul may have shed last night, and it's just like I just want to drink those tears because I I dislike them so much. Anyway, so think about something like Steph Curry, like you know all these crazy basketball drills they do, and they're things that will never happen in a game but they're basically making things so difficult so that the time you do get into a game situation, it's easy or, or you know yeah. what I mean? Like you, you're, 
you're handicapping yourself, you're making things harder mm-hmm. so that in the game time it, it's better. So I think certain things with creativity, yeah, you can almost like play these little games like, all right, here's the game. You get one typeface, you got to do this. And these constraints kind of force you to think in a way where like, well, I got to, I can't think how I usually think because those options aren't on the table. So I have to f- figure out a new way. And then I think that's usually when, you know, you might discover a new technique or a way of approaching something or things like that. So I don't know. I I've always, I've always enjoyed sports metaphors <laughs> with, <laughs> with things like creativity because with pixels. Yeah. Because, because <laughs> you want, you, what gives me peace in my mind is like, I know there's a way to legitimately get better. Right. Mm -hmm. And there is, and, and, and doing exercises like that and just giving yourself little daily challenges. I think there's tons of things you can do that, that literally improves your craft, makes you better. So you're at White and Kennedy, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, like I've said, a very impressive agency. You're working on this work. What, is kind of like the final straw or not necessarily the final straw, but the thing that is mm, that determines it. Okay. I don't want to work full time anymore. (laughs) Well, it was a series of unfortunate events. Um, namely the, the, uh, you know, it's, this is the same way with agencies and clients, like a new CMO comes in, there's a regime change it it's, can be similar to agencies. So um, a lot of the people that had hired me and were my advocates bounced within a wow. year of, of me getting there. And then um, they kind of just didn't quite know what to do with me on a certain sense. And Well, because how many people actually work there? Many. Like hundreds? Yes. And hundreds? And thousand? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, maybe globally, sure. Okay. Um, at the Portland office, I think it was, uh, over 500, but, but during the first year they, but it's all, sorry, not to interrupt, but it's all like creative teams, correct? Mm -hmm. Is is more or less how it's, Mm -hmm. uh, um, constructed. Mm -hmm. And so then you have your, your people that bring you in and if they bounce, then it's kind of like, what do we do with this guy? (laughs) Kind of. To a certain extent. Yeah. That, that can happen for sure. Um, there was another guy actually super talented um, from the Netherlands Mm -hmm. and a similar thing happened to him. Like I was, sorry, what I was saying is in year one, Wyden and Kennedy and target broke up. Mm. That was a big deal. That was a huge account. They did a lot of work for them. Did they cut that team or? Well, they laid off a lot of people, not all from target, but Basically, what it means is you kind of have to trim the fat where you're like, yeah. yes, some target people will be let go, but people from everywhere will be let go because, you know, it's it's very simple business math for an agency. It's service business. So it's yeah. profit and loss. It's this yeah, much think, coming in, that I much I feel like out. agencies get kind of a bad rub when it comes to layoffs mm-hmm. um, sometimes. sometimes because oh, it's just... It's just... It's the nature of the beast. Yeah, like, it's like... They have to hire up for new clients. Mm-hmm. It's and literally it, like water clients. in a harbor. Yeah. You get new clients, water, the ships rise, you bring on new people, you lose clients, water goes down, you lose people. It's nothing personal. But um, in, in St. Louis, I mean, that literally can, or, you know, in non-primary markets, that can mean the end of an agency. You know, that can mm-hmm. mean... Oh, it, it happens often. 100 um, to 200 people out on the street. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. that's why it's, you know, 
in the Midwest and in smaller markets, it's um, people are like, man, they just fucking laid everybody mm-hmm. off before mm-hmm. Christmas. Like, I remember this happening. I can't remember who. Yeah. But it's that like, stuff, at the same time, if you lost 80% of your business, which was one of your clients, mm-hmm. it, then what yeah. are you supposed to do? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Like I was saying, though, there was a, a really talented guy from the Netherlands um, mm-hmm. that had been brought in to work on Target, and then they didn't have Target anymore. Oh, man. Um, so then he was, I think, had a similar, it was just kind of bouncing around. And then uh, he left maybe after like a year and a half or so and is now like a demigod in <laughs> Europe. I don't know what country he's in now, but he's he's so talented. Um, he wow. worked at the original, well, he's the chosen sorry, people. they're still around, but he worked at Kessel's, uh, Kessel's Kramer back in the day. Mm. Like all those amazing yeah. diesel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of which in my mind, that's, I, I would have loved to work with. I just thought all that stuff was brilliant. I then, luckily, in the spring of 2014, they had layoffs. And <laughs> I was one of the layoffs. And it was amazing because I had no idea it was coming. <laughs> but I got a severance. Oh, shit. Which I then renamed my freelance starter kit. So I had a three-month severance with my freelance starter kit. And then I remember the day it happened. Uh, it was in the morning on a, f- I don't know, Monday. Uh-huh. They usually do them on Fridays. For whatever reason, I think this was a Monday. I texted my wife. She writes back in all caps, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Where do you want to eat at tonight to celebrate? And I was like, you are my ride or die chosen one <laughs> because she knew I wasn't happy there. And just to, you know, you text your, your, your spouse, like, Hey, I just got laid off. And for their first response to just be all caps laughter. Did you also say I got the next three months, baby? <laughs> no, I didn't okay. say that, but no. So we went out. So she was just happy that you were out of the situation, yeah, the specific situation that yeah, wasn't and, making and her happy. levity about it, and just kind of like this, like let's just laugh about it, sure. was so wonderful. Um, so we went, we had at Screen Door that night. It's one of my favorite restaurants. We had chicken and waffles, it's delicious. Damn. The next day, we went to the no, sorry, the same day because she got out a little early that day. We went to the Apple Store because, like many people at nice agencies. My work computer was amazing. My personal computer, it was old, you know? So I was like, shoot, I need a new machine. Like, so we went to the Apple store and, and you're kind of stressed and you're like, I well, just like got laid off. I shouldn't yeah, spend money. But, <laughs> but she was just like, no, it's like, get the computer. And she was just all about it. And just kind of her positivity was really helpful. Just kind of like this feeling of like, you know what? It's fine. Everything's yeah. fine. I'm like, oh, okay, it's fine. Well, um, that's good because, you know, I've also known you prior to your married life and I could potentially see that being something to where you're like, oh, you get down the dumps about it. Oh, yeah. And to have someone there bolstering you saying, mm-hmm. no, we're celebrating. Get that computer. Yeah. Get back on your feet. We're going out to eat tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And a- another big thing, and I always tell this, I, I take a lot of coffee meetings in town. Anytime someone either gets laid off, quits, or... Oh, that's cool. Or freelance comes up, uh, my, na- my name gets passed around. They're like, you should you should get coffee with Josh Boston. <laughs> so we'll talk. 
And they're like, tell me about freelance. I'm like, okay. How much um, has Iris, your wife, yeah. that's his name. <laughs> that's her name. How much has she taught you about that? About oh my goodness, Every, okay. everything. She, uh, like I would just be in a gutter right now. if. <laughs> it, no, well, here's the thing. I wouldn't have been able to be freelance for this long if, if I had never met her. Yeah. Um, and one of the big things I always tell people with freelances, it is... It is a lot about being good with your money, which I had never been good with my money. I just was just the the worst. I mean, I remember going out to. I remember when we first met. Do you remember when we first met? Yes. Okay, going out on a Wednesday night. Sure. And (laughs) let's go. This is a great story. And I, uh, I guess I was twenty-one or twenty-two. I can't remember. Twenty-one. And I was done with school and trying to get a job. And I was working with some agencies in St. Louis. And Josh was working at this non-for-profit <laughs> religious institution. <laughs> and uh, one of my life lifelong friends, Tim Dollarhide, hit me up and said, let's go get some drinks. Oh, yeah. Talk to Josh. He's my roommate. Yeah. And we had this amazing loft. It was like <laughs> kind of like in big. Huge, yes. like we could have put a trampoline in there. Well, it was big. We, we almost even, did. We almost did. Well, we <laughs> when we moved out, we had a big party because there was no furniture in it, and we had dodgeball, yeah. like full length dodgeball. This is happening. on Washington Avenue oh in St. Louis, Missouri. It was so fun! It was one of the best parties. They ever. were moving out of their loft, and uh, we set up a recess party. Yes, eighties recess party. Eighties recess party. And so we drew up dodgeball, uh, a dodgeball line and then four square. Four square. And yep. my dad was working at the community college at the time. So I got a bunch of those red rubber balls that we could use. Yeah. And we had those little scooter things that you can put. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. You can just the, the, what are those? What yeah, the fuck you are like, those when you're a little kid, like you, you slide on them on your tummy or you can like sit on them. You sit on them and you move your legs oh, yeah. left and right it and it so propels fun. you forward. What are those called? Didn't Matt Dale bring that huge sound system in the, in the mix? She had like the best eighties mix. It was so loud. I, think I got the sound system and Matt yeah. Dale probably got the mix. So, <laughs> but then we fun. we're on, what I floor were like, we on? Oh, uh, we were near the top. <laughs> no, like we sixth, were the top. Seventh. It was the top floor uh, of a eight, seven or eight story. Building. No, more, 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 more. So we're playing dodgeball and it felt uh, like a scene from a movie. Yeah. And it's hot. And so we open the windows and so dodgeballs start flying out the windows this is true. to the streets below. <laughs> yes. People were called. <laughs> it yeah. didn't get shut down. It didn't get shut down. It was, it was great. One of the best parties. Shout out. Yeah. To our former self. <laughs> it was so fun. It felt like a 80s montage music video. Just good, clean fun. Everyone was happy. And then so you moved. Fun. Then I moved. Anyway, to next topic. Fenton, Missouri. Wait, 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 wait. Now. If you can't tell, we finally started drinking beers throughout this podcast. So it's loosening us up just a little bit. Wait, let's go back. Okay. We got distracted. Back to what? Before the loft, before we met. Before. Oh, money, money, yes. Okay, so here's the thing. I was just a total idiot with money my whole life, basically, until I met my wife. Uh, it was basically like, oh, if there's money in my account, we'll, we'll just spend, oh, yeah, yeah. We'll just were, spend it all then, like a dum-dum. He would buy books from You Work For Them. And this is before Amazon, so the books were just list price. 
And I would, f- I feel like once or twice a week, you would get shipments in of books that were easily 30 to a hundred dollars. And you would probably have like five books. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what are you, do- what are you doing? And you're like, Oh, this is, I'm buying books. I'm like, this is how many books you buy a week. Spending my money. <laughs> and, anyway. Yeah. And I was of the, you know, I was of the mindset of like, you just don't spend money. Like you keep, you hold on to your money. You don't do yes, anything with you it. You knew that you knew the answers I had to. Well, I think there's, I do think that there is positives and negatives yeah. to both. Yeah. Uh, approaches. But, okay. So freelance, let's go take yeah. it, run it back. Run freelance. It back. The biggest thing with freelance is you need to be good with your money because yes. you have to be able to weather yeah. the feast and the famine. Feast and and famine. you also, I feel <laughs> need to be able to weather um, negotiations because um, mm-hmm. a lot of times it, it's a roller coaster. Well, no, they'll, they'll try and lowball you and you have to be able often you'd be surprised. Yeah. Um, and you have to be willing to walk away from it and be like, no, this yeah. is my bottom number that I will do this project for. Well, you can only do that. <laughs> but you can only do if that you if, have you have money. Have, if you have money. In the bank. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. So to be able to kind of keep your nerve and not blink, yeah, you know, you, you kind of have to have some money and savings. So, so therefore rewinding when, the, when the layoff happened, because I had been married and because my wife is the czar of finances, we were good. I mean, we were, we were fine. I mean, we, we had money in the bank. We were going to be okay. Uh, and then that year I just kept getting booked with freelance work. Um, so then this is a good segue to the next point, which was, so I finished the rest of that. That happened, I think in May. Mm-hmm. Oh shoot. I need to find what the, I wonder if my, my freelance anniversary is coming up soon. Sometime in May. I remember I had it documented somewhere. Anyway, I'll find that. However. Okay. So I finished the rest of the year. I'm, I'm booked a lot, which is great. Ended up being making more money than I ever thought I would. It was just and like, wow, this, this, this is all four years. Yeah, three uh, years this ago. is in 2014. Okay. You know, it all worked out nice. Five years. So then, um, I'm in my early thirties at that point. Um, I had a friend in California who was also kind of doing similar things, but he was more of a sales person slash kind of hybrid producer. Mm-hmm. And so we thought naively, we should just start our own agency while we have the energy to do it. Cause you're in your early thirties. It's a lot of work. So we started an agency and it did not go well. Um, I, I remember so, that so naive about you were getting a lot of married things. at the same time. No, or had just we had been married. married. Okay. No, this is after that. But I remember the, the infancy of yeah. the idea. So that, yeah. And, and the, and the thing with that was, is, I was basically removing myself from freelance work with agencies because agencies don't want a studio. They want an individual. They're like, we don't care what your LLC, S Corp, whatever you are is. We just want you. And it's like, well, I can't go sit on site at the agency all day because we're, you know, we're trying to have multiple clients and, you know, and your rate goes up because you're a vendor. And anyway, so we... (laughs) We fought and scrapped. We had two offices. We paid rent on over. We had an office in Union Station in Portland, and then we had an office space in San Diego. And then we took on another partner, designer, within that first year. And just the numbers just weren't working out. And yeah. that you never hear about a lot of this. Like, we were able to pay our overhead. 
I think I made one year like 30,000. I could have made more at Trader Joe's. Like I, I hadn't made that little money in a year since like, which I worked at McDonald's or something, which is still not bad, but right for, (laughs) yeah, but relatively, I mean, mean, when, you know, sure. But that's not sustainable year. Like, no, no. So then, but in, yeah, sorry. I, you know, I think relatively living in Portland and San Diego require a higher salary to have mm-hmm. at least, a you know, a, a kind of life that you hope to have, you know, mm-hmm. the cost of rent is a lot higher. Yeah. And I think too, we, we each kind of had w- with any startup or company agency, anything I, you have a runway and yeah. you basically say like, look, look, we'll let it go this long, but if we're not making X amount by this time, we're going to pack it in. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what happened. Um, it just, it wasn't, it looked, it maybe looked like it was successful. We got to go to the white house, uh, when president Obama was there, he had the South by South lawn event. We were, our little agency was on the same, it was part of this thing called the creative Alliance. You had like 72 and sunny RGA, AKQA. Uh, why did you guys get picked? Exactly. <laughs> Was it uh, your no, partners, we knew or? we knew one yeah. of the people that were one of the founders. Like, oh, you want to be in this? We're like, sure, but you realize, like, we have like two thousand dollars in our bank account. Like, you know, <laughs> it, it's just so funny. <laughs> now, creatively, I have no problem putting myself. I'm like, oh, I'll stand behind what we can do. Yeah, against any of these. Like, you, I've worked at a lot of these shops and freelance. And you're like, it's you know, mm-hmm. I'm comfortable there. But it was just funny. Um. We're part of this thing, which you're basically doing pro bono work, which is wonderful for these large agencies because you're like, yeah, like this is good for our teams. They feel good about it. They've got plenty of money. (laughs) We literally were like, we're doing free work and making like, (laughs) we don't know if we can pay ourselves next month (laughs) or what happens when we can't pay our rent for our, you know what I mean? You're just like, oh my, like this. Like our plane was like scraping the tops of the mountains, like on fire, what, about to crash. What um, year was this? The, well, it was right. That was 2016. That was before. Okay. Yeah, so that, that was, was before the election. Ago? South by South Lawn was was October before the November oh election God. when we entered the darkest timeline <laughs> for uh, whatever simulation we're in right now. <laughs> so there's that. Um. Anyway, but after that. I, I, you know, it's the funny thing with perception. People are like, oh, it looks so great. Or, you know, even designers or something you might follow. And it's like, nobody really talks often about where the money really comes from. Right. You know, a lot of times, even like the stuff that paid the bills for me, you'll never see that work. It either didn't get produced or it was so bad mm-hmm. that you're like, I will never put my name next to that. But that might have paid the bills for a year. And people don't often, you know, talk about all that. So, no, that, because it's, um, you know, it's not aspirational no, to any kind of creative it's survival. Yeah. It's pure survival. And so many agencies and creative studios do that is their work, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think you realize that once you start to work there, but from the outside perspective, you've got no idea that like, you know, that their moneymaker is in, in my case, you know, like government work. Or mm. something that's just not sexy at all, mm-hmm. um, and you can maintain any kind of sexy uh, envisioning of yourself that you want, but it's just yeah. not necessarily the truth. 
a friend of mine had a good analogy, or I don't know if it was a friend or I heard it somewhere, but it was basically talking about like, you're basically a duck in water. What people on the outside see is, oh, you're just floating along the water. So peaceful. Yeah. It looks very, you're a very pleasant duck. But what they don't see is underneath the water, the panic paddling. you're paddling really hard in a very stressful That's a great manner. way to play. <laughs> Which, you know, and I think another thing too is it being freelance is, I think about this a lot, is it's kind of like being on a tightrope. And I think the key to success is like, just don't look down. Yeah. Don't think about it too much. That's the key to a lot of things, I think, man. I tell people, um, like... God, I, hate, I even hate to talk about this, but like, like, what do you, what's your social media? How do you do your social media? And, um, mine is sticking my head in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle it. I always say I have two rules for social media. One, don't care about it. And two, use it. Don't let it use you. Yeah, that's because really good. I need to, you, we were talking about this um, in iMessage a few months ago mm-hmm. and you sent me that snippet from uh, Marcus Aurelius or something, one of those stoic writers. Yeah, yeah, it was so helpful because, I mean. Which one was it? I don't even know. Um, I have to look it up. But personally, man, I'm, I'm a terrible at using social, I don't post a lot on Instagram. I just, sure. I just put Instagram stories like my dog. Um, I'm not. <laughs> I don't tweet a lot. I don't, I just can't, in a way I like it like that. I mm-hmm. like, that was my wish, like to the, the freelance genie. It was like, can I just have work, but not have to be like this personality or talking about myself all the time. And so far it's, it's relatively worked. Well, I, I, I have, but sorry, maybe not. Going. No, it has. <laughs> I think, you know, Well, that's the thing with being freelance is you always feel like this, the minute you don't have work <laughs> and that turns into one week, two week, three yeah. weeks, a month, then you're like, Oh, so my career is over now. I guess, <laughs> I guess this is it. It's done now. Well, I had a good da, run. Da, 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 yeah. Da, da, and then you get an email and you're like, Oh, I'm back on top, baby. Dress part two. Exactly. Dress <laughs> world. Let's go. Let me train some velociraptors. And then you finish your gig and maybe it's quiet for a little bit. And you're like, okay, now, now's when my career is so fully you, over. Are you talking about how, um, are you talking about using social media as, uh, an attention getter for freelance? Yes. Okay. I, well, and I think, I think as a, I think, and I'm, I do not follow this advice that I'm yeah. about to say what I think is the answer. And that's my problem that I'm working through. Mm-hmm. I need therapy for things like this is I think how it works is you just need to be t- somewhat top of mind for a handful of people. You really only need about like three to four gigs a year with an agency. That's the easiest way. And it, especially if those gigs last two months, three yeah. months, you're good. You're good. That's all you need. To, that's all you have to book for the year, and you're good. Well, how does that guy, uh, Gary, is mm-hmm. that his name? Gary Benzel. Yeah. So how does he operate? I is he a freelancer? Know. I don't know. There you that's, go. That's how mysterious Gary is. But but Gary, his wife might also be a doctor. Mm. Uh, which I'm, fam- <laughs> which spoil spoiler alert, I'm also familiar with because my wife has her doctorate. Um, 
But I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I don't want to front like, Oh, freelancers. Like, dude, if I wasn't married to Iris, if she didn't have our finances as healthy as they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I didn't have, if I was just single and only had my income, probably yeah. wouldn't have lasted five years. Well, so that's the truth. I mean, so I that, that's like this. demystifying some of this. Yeah. And I can speak to that as not being married to a doctor and not being as talented as you. <laughs> in, in, Agree to disagree. <laughs> keep going. In, in turn, well, I, I love how you said that your bad year was that you made $30,000. And I remember I quit my job uh, at the beginning of the recession. And uh, I guess we both did. And I think I was still doing freelance and then I was doing uh, photojournalism work. But I think in 2008 or nine, I think it was 2009, I made under the poverty level <laughs> of a salary, like under $10,000. Jeez. And, uh, and still I, made I, it I, out in the Midwest because it's not hard. And I saved money. I was really good at yeah, saving you, money too. You were my inspiration financial <laughs> health inspiration. Well, um, it, it's just, you know, when you have a parent that raises you with the threat, uh, the false threat of uh, being out on the streets, you learn to save money pretty quickly. And that is probably, I talk about this often, but that is actually one of the best things my parents ever taught me was to cherish money. Not to cherish it, but to be... To worship it. To, to put it on a pedestal and praise it as your Lord. No, but to be extremely cognizant of where your money's coming from, where it's going, what are you buying, why are you buying. Mm-hmm. Credit cards are not a free money that they charge you at the end of the month for the money that you've spent. And looking back, that's one of the most valuable lessons I've ever learned because it allowed me... Uh, to quit my job and to not float, but to get by for about two or three years before I set up anti-agency and set up a way to make money regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, If you blow money, then you're blowing your freedom and your time and your foundation. Come on now. Um, Come on. And uh, it's, you know, I always love the line that, um, the root of our money is the root of all evil, which is not true. The love of money is the root of all evil. There, I'm quoting yeah. scripture, and I'm not even a come Christian. on now, come on now <laughs> with that good word. It reminds me of that guy, the the Navy SEAL podcaster. You you follow him, Jocko? Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. literally looks like an action figure that you would buy he a looks toy like of. Gimli. No, he's better than he looks like a character <laughs> from a video game. He doesn't even look real. He's awesome. He's retired Navy SEAL, and yeah. his he just had, put out a book last year, right? Yeah. Did you get it? No, I need to. I well, would, I like him. I do too. As a designer, though, no, it he, is the worst oh. typeset book. Well, ever. That's the publisher. It's real bad. Anyway, but anyways, his yes. catchphrase or thing is "discipline equals freedom," yep. and it's so true. It's very true. Finance um, and hardship. Hardship. People underestimate hardship. It's the same thing for your your physical body. Yep. I had my back go out a couple years ago. Uh, traumatic. It it wasn't like upper a, or lower. Lower. Mm. It wasn't like a slipped disc or anything. I was just bending over and it went out. I was like, oh well, it'll be better in a week. Yeah. It wasn't better for a year and a half. <laughs> I had chronic pain for a year and a half. 
had to do a bunch of rehab stuff. It was so stupid. I like how you leaned in to say that. Because <laughs> it's it important, was, Kevin. It wasn't better for a year and a half. That a year and a half of <laughs> chronic pain will mess. It will fuck you up. Oh, yeah. I'm it like, was. I had, I've had my back go out many something. times. And it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. It, if Health you as wealth, had, baby. Health as wealth. That's what my father-in-law <laughs> says. Health is wealth. If you haven't had your back go out, it is the most immediate way to realize that your health is the most important aspect of what you have to maintain. It, it, it fundamentally impedes your ability to move on a daily basis and to get around and to sit down and go to the bathroom and do gestures and raise your arms. You know when you don't feel like doing any graphic design or advertising work when you have low-level pain (laughs) 24-7? It's just days where it's not even blinding pain, but it's Mm. just this low-level pain, and you're like, hmm, I just want to lay flat on the floor and black out until this goes away, but it's not, and I have to kern type and come up with (laughs) ideas and... It's month fifteen. Why is this still happening? Right. It's the worst. Did you get into yoga or chiropractic work? Mm, it was some chiropractic early on, and then a lot of uh, physical therapy. Okay. Um, basically, relearning how to sit, stand, walk. Yeah. I had a lot of muscle imbalances and just postural things, and just also for the listening audience at home, Josh is six eight. Yeah. Six foot, eight inches. And if I have shoes on and I'm out in the world, <laughs> six, six, nine. Oh, oh the goose. sexiest height. The sexiest height that, <laughs> that you can, that one might attain. Some say. Yeah, it was bad. It was really, um, it was, honestly, I was telling this to someone the other day. It, I, I said this, your 30s and 40s, are the perfect time, just like financially, you should be like maxing out all your retirement accounts, like building up, like, cause you're planning for, you know, your 60s, 70s, 80s. Like, well, I have a thought on that, but yeah. Okay. Circle back to that. <laughs> um, likewise, your 30s and 40s are a great time to get like all your like uh, muscu- muscular imbalances mm-hmm. worked out, your mobility, so that. You can enjoy your 60s, 70s, 80s. Totally. You can move. I completely agree. All that stuff. So yeah, I I had always I had been into lifting weights a lot, but I'd never put any emphasis on stretching or mobility work. And now it's it's totally flipped around. I'm like, oh, I really don't care about lifting weights. I mean, it's fun, right? But if I like the all the mobility and stretching stuff has to come first. I wonder how that coincides with a gradual reduction in the creation of testosterone because you're young and dumb and full of sperms. Ideas <laughs> for how things should be. What did we used to say? Young, dumb, Nothing. and... F- no, 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 no. You remember. Young, dumb, and full of... Fun? <laughs> no. We had a catchphrase? Yeah, you I don't remember blacked that. it out. Because obviously the... The normal phrase is young, dumb, yep, and full of cum. No, yep, okay. But there was, you used to say, f- full of, uh, I don't know if it was Jesus or what. Vitality? <laughs> no, you just, I don't remember what it was. But um, yeah, I mean, you you take your mobility for granted in your 20s, for sure. Take and everything for granted. You take everything for granted. Zero through 20. 29. 
29. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say 25, but you know what? That's the honest answer. You're it still is. an idiot when you're 29. And uh, uh, when I turned 30, it honestly affected me more than I thought it would because it was, I've always been pretty attuned to death and dying, uh, having worked or volunteered at a hospice when I was 16 and then uh, watching my grandmother pass away. And so I have always like realized like, okay, you know, this ends someday. But then even having that kind of morbid outlook, you get these realizations through different means as you live your life. And honestly, I was one of those people that was like, I'm 29, 30 is just another day. It doesn't matter. It's an arbitrary uh, Roman calendar. And then it hurt when you woke up. And then I, no, and then I turned 30 and there was some weird thing that happened. Maybe it was 31, but at 30 or 31. And I'm like, fuck, like, I'm in this decade now. And it's, and it's happening. It's all happening. I think it's just like all the tropes you see. Like one day you wake up. And you're like, oh, things hurt. Yeah. For no reason. I yeah. didn't do anything. What why why does everything why hurt right hurt? now? Yeah, I'm not a baby anymore. Ex- exactly. It's not all cartilage. Exactly. <laughs> uh yeah, true it's true. What uh where where are we even? We've gone so far down. <laughs> I w- just went back to being freelance. So then for fun, I thought, um, this is when I started Josh in Boston. Oh yeah. I just thought it would be funny to just poke fun at like agency names and uh-huh. like law firms like Brown and Crouppen mm-hmm. or <laughs> Delta Delta. No, that's Shout a, out to the eye patch. <laughs> Delta, yeah. Delta Delta Delta. Or, or, you know, or like <laughs> Widen and Kennedy or, you know I mean? Yeah. Like DDB, all these are just like people's last names. I was like, what if I just take Did one person and make it too, <laughs> which was actually a Nike campaign that my friend Brock Kirby worked on with Calvin Johnson. It was Calvin and Johnson. Oh, so okay. Calvin would play f- or one of them would play football and be Calvin Johnson. And then the other one would handle like all the media stuff. But that was Diddy. It was so funny. That reminds me of like it's a great um, campaign. Didn't someone else do that, though, too? Um, like Deion Sanders? Uh, I don't know. Because he did the whole Maybe. thing with football and baseball. Yeah. I don't know. I have to look that up. But or Anthony Hardaway with Little Penny. Penny, love Little Penny. Yeah, I do that with Little Joshy. Little Josh. When I play video games online, that's my screen name. <laughs> so is it? Oh yeah. And instead of the S, I have a dollar sign. And what my hope is, this is what my hope is, is that people think an eight-year-old just wrecked them at Mario Kart because they see, oh, Little Joshy, you know, passed you or got the gold medal. But in reality, it's it's thirty seven year old grown man <laughs> in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> no, yeah. So I just went back to freelancing, and it's kind of what we were doing, even as a company. Yeah, I still actually took a few freelance gigs because we needed. I needed money. Yeah, <laughs> it's like we don't have any other work to do, anyways. We so meaning did that? Oh, Bo and I. Oh, okay. when it was briefcase. Um, yeah, and then a lot of people too, because I'm so bad at so or so bad at social media. I don't post a lot. People are like, Oh, I thought you lived in San Diego. Like, I thought you died. Yeah. You're dead. <laughs> I'm like, no, I, I'm still in Portland. Still in Southwest Portland. Still just on indoor. Still on indoor. Amongst the Ewoks. Amongst the Ewoks. Talking to my dogs <laughs> every day at home. No, not always. I'm on site a lot with, with different agencies. But, but you're so good in the 
agency slash client slash work environment, I think. That's the big idea. Right. But and <laughs> That's the but hope. you're saying it just doesn't <laughs> easily translate to self promotion. Um or you just don't care. I kinda don't care. Yeah. I if I could if I could pay money. Who do you think is good at it? Because oh, I don't know. Gosh. Because there's people who I look up to that uh I don't necessarily think are like that good at. Like I wanna say one of my design idols uh, James Victoria, hmm. who uh, not even design, but I guess I would call him even conceptual art uh, heroes. He's he's not that good at doing social media. I love stuff like that. I that makes me feel peace because what he does. No, anyone that can be successful without just having like tweeting all the time mm-hmm. or Instagram, like all that stuff because I don't know. It just has always been kind of uncomfortable to me. I'm just not that comfy with it. Um, or I'm just kind of like, I don't, I don't know what my deal is. I just don't like it that much. So, um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of freelance is just your relationships. So if you've worked with agencies as a freelancer and you had a good attitude and you were kind of clutch for them, because that's the thing (laughs) when you're freelancing is, Anytime you get an email for a gig, it's not because things are going awesome. Yeah. It's because there's a fire drill. Mm-hmm. So there is a certain pressure of not always, but often. Often. Yeah. It's like not 80, the greatest projects sometimes. Yeah. Or it's or something is in trouble, or you know, it's you're kind of like special forces. You're you're parachuting in. You're like, oh, we gotta solve this quick. Um cut to uh <laughs> putting on gear yeah exactly <laughs> load exactly. up the batteries on the mouse <laughs> exactly um and sometimes you i mean i kind of i like the pressure to a certain degree i feel like i i thrive there like for example lately i have had no pressure and guess whose website still isn't done yet <laughs> this guy's because there's no what do you call is it just josh boston yeah well, yeah, that's I ha- I've always had that URL. So yeah, it's just joshboston.com. Okay. No ampersand. No ampersand, <laughs> but then I the LLC is actually Josh ampersand Josh and Boston LLC. Okay. Um and that's like the logo uh, on the website it, and all that. It, it, I think not to detract from what you were talking about, but isn't it interesting how um specifically graphic designer creatives choose to present themselves because we all have these aliases right. and it's like, why do you have this alias? Um, and I can remember all of my aliases and I don't even know why the aliases became common. I think it's kind of, honestly, I think it's hip hop because I was yeah, really into or hip-hop. URLs. I think it goes URLs back to just, well, yeah. you needed a URL back in the day for your personal work or whatever. And you can't, I can't get KevinKelly.com because that motherfucker what? from Wired, that it, Amish looking motherfucker from he, Wired. <laughs> he responded to me on Twitter once. What? I, he might even follow me, which is silly because I don't do anything. I think it's because I'm friends with brain pickings. Oh, Maria. Yeah. Oh, God. She's I forgot about legend. That. You did the branding for that, right? Uh-huh. It's just a font. I mean, it's No, but still she, that is 
I think still one of the um, best things on the internet. It oh, is, what she does is for sure. Oh my God. If you're not on brainpickings.org. I think so. It's the only mass email that I still get every week. Yeah. And she does, you know, air quotes, the Lord's work when it comes to curating the best philosophical, uh, artistic, um, sociological thoughts on human behavior and existence that I've ever seen. She... Um, she's so, what's her name? Maria Popova. Popova. Yeah. She's so <laughs> inspiring me. Okay. Spoiler, I remember when sp- you did that, I'm like, shit, Josh, you know her? No. Well, <laughs> what's funny is, well, maybe she, she worked in advertising for a hot minute. Yeah. Now, as you can probably ascertain, didn't enjoy it. Right. And then was able to just switch over to doing brain pickings. Which is incredible. Which is that she... She it's lives on donations, very, right? Yes, she's incredibly disciplined, incredibly prolific. Is. Yeah, uh, this is what I was going to say. Spoiler: I'm so lazy, <laughs> um, and I really don't apply myself to my full. But I don't. I'm so lazy. Well, none of us do, right? But she's somebody who does. Yeah, uh, Mike China is somebody who does. Yeah, yeah and yeah. it's very like um, he did a Mike China did an interview with the Great Discontent. And I send it to people all the time, mm-hmm. especially people. Are they still around? Um, I don't know. I don't know either. Maybe not. I think one of them went into consulting. I'm not sure. Anyway, but he he just shoots it straight. It's like, you want to get good? You got to work a lot. You got to really love that. You got to get obsessed with this. Yeah. And, you know, we all maybe go through different phases of that, but it's sustaining that level of interest and just showing up and working hard every day. Does she have a team? I don't. She does, I think, have some editors or contributors, but that's insane. you would be surprised at how much she alone gets done. I, she, I can't believe she doesn't have a podcast or anything. Oh yeah. I don't know. I honestly, I haven't spoken with her I think I saw her back in like 2013 Mm -hmm. in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't, I feel bad now because she's, she's such a thing. I don't want to email her or I get it. You know what I mean? You're like, Hey, you're kind of in the stratosphere now. Right. But But, she's a wonderfully just still good person. Relatively undiscovered. I would say in, in, in some respects, like she probably survives and lives off of brain pickings. Yeah. But um, if I walk, you know, nine people out of 10 that I meet have no idea what that would be, I'm sure. Well, I don't know. I mean, she's been on Fresh Air with Terry Gross. Has and, she? Oh, yeah. She's, she's really? been featured in the New York Times oh multiple God. times. That, that's why we had okay, to. So maybe I'm just completely unaware of well, how popular no, she is. Again, though, that goes back to there just being so much information these days. Yeah. There's so much. Yeah, there's no way to keep on top of it. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, no, that was the reason why it was so rushed back in. I did, the stuff I did for her was back when I was at Crispin and I was working like, uh, at least 12 hour, 14 hour days. Yeah. And then trying to get her stuff done. Oh God. Uh, because in a, a it was shitty, a little apartment, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, and that was because she had her first New York times feature coming up and we were trying to get it done mm. before that hit. So that that's kind of like make that's definitely making it anytime the New York times, regardless of what lady, you think of them. Come on. Yeah. Anytime that they come knocking, like 
you got to have some you sort of... You take that call every time. You take that call. <laughs> you take that. I don't care yeah. if you're, you know, Ben Shapiro or yeah. any right-wing commentator. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay. New York Times, what's up? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Maria's fantastic. That's but- cool. You've been able to interface with a lot of cool people. Um, you know, Mike Gina, Maria, uh, the, the guy from Atlanta, Stefan... Oh, Stefan Kjartansson. Yeah. yeah. How's he doing? He's doing good. The armchair. Armchair. They yes. got sold to they got sold or bought or merged with another agency. But he's they're still doing their thing in Atlanta. He's great. Um, there's another guy who I we met in person back in the day when he lived in Atlanta, Gabriel Riciopo. Sorry, oh. Gabriel, if I mispronounce your name. Yeah. He was in Atlanta, he was doing his own thing. He was part of the early, like early 2000s design community. Then he joined up with Needs Supply and he moved to uh, Richmond, Virginia, mm-hmm. teamed up with Needs Supply, which was a cool retail store in Virginia. And then Gabriel just helped blow it up into this online behemoth. And then Needs Supply was, I mean, they were putting out magazines and doing like all their, their own clothing and they got investors and it's a whole thing. Um, and what I loved about Gabriel too, is that he, his social presence all those years, he's so low key. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, need supply. Everybody knew about that, but they didn't necessarily know about him. Like he just wasn't like me. <laughs> he was just like, here's my kid at soccer practice or what about, you know, uh, yeah, there's, I feel like a lot of designers have kind of taken that path. What's his, um, excuse me, like uh Draplin is obviously the God of, merging personal life and work um mm-hmm. there's also a uh, new army um oh yeah uh, he's great at that too ryan uh, right yes and then john contino yeah he's, he's, he's really been good. really good at that he's um, for a long time and I, I i always appreciate that because for some reason i think that like design and creatives uh want to maintain some lo- like level of secrecy like they don't want to show the special recipe and like I love the people that have done that, that have said, oh, like John Contino, I remember he did like a Skillshare, like a free Skillshare video where he showed how he started to develop his illustrations, how he, this is such a simple thing, but like how he would print his sketches out on paper on like 10% cyan and then use that as a base to draw more like a better illustration on top of it. And then rescan that, and then the safety blue or the ten percent cyan mm-hmm. doesn't show when you're using auto trace. Mm. So like that changed so much of my workflow for personal work that it was crazy. Yeah, that, and I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm so thankful for people that are comfortable sh- sharing a lot of things like that. Yeah. Um, but. I, maybe there's just a piece about just being like, that's not, it's okay if you're not like that. Cause I'm not like that. Yeah, I get it's, it. Like I, I remember this was years ago, which is ironic to me because you are a socially, um, aware and dynamic person. Like you're funny, like you're interesting and you're funny and you just don't feel the need to necessarily capture that on social media. And that's totally cool. But like people that know you, like really I think are affected by you and like influenced by what you're interested in. And so I, it's just, it's cool that you don't have to share that either though. You know, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, 
but I think that that you also maybe underestimate like how interested people could potentially be in what you do every day. Yeah, I don't know about all that. Um, that's <laughs> exactly. very nice of you to say. I, well, I was going to say before you, influenced you me. before you went into that, which is very <laughs> sweet of you. This was oh, this was still 2014. I think like spring of 2014. Skillshare wasn't what it is today. They were still yeah. like they needed content. And I don't know who I got an email from them. They're like, you want to do a Skillshare thing? I was like, I just like, I wrote back. It's like, that's so nice of you to say, but honestly, <laughs> I don't know what I would. Cause I'm kind of, I'm not a total hack, but certain things I do are hacky. Like I'm not a really good illustrator. I'm not, I'm not a specialist in any one thing. I'm more of a real generalist. So well, I just had no idea what I could do in a, in that kind of format to be helpful. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, let me buffer that because, you know, since we have worked on a team and worked together on projects, definitely, you know, when it came to technical questions, you would come knocking. Oh, for sure. I, yeah, I'm not. But on the flip side of that and what I have learned to develop and cultivate is that you were ahead of the game when it came to taste. And knowing when things are good and knowing when things are bad. And not necessarily being able to say X, Y, Z, this is why something is not good. But you knew that and you developed that and you cultivated that at an earlier age than anyone I've ever met. And so nowadays, I definitely do not have the technical knowledge or skill set or know-how on a lot of things. Mm, yeah. But what I do have is, um, I always say, I don't know how to do it. I always say you're better at type at me, but I know if the type looks good or not. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of feel similar to that. And a lot of, st I was talking to somebody the other day. I can't remember who it was. It might've been for, oh, I was meeting a new agency and I was talking to the founder and he was great because I think he was maybe like five, six years older than me. So mm -hmm. I'm guessing he's in his early forties. And we were just like geeking on like, yeah, like Designers Republic. And he was like, yes. Yeah. And, he, and we were in a conference room and he kind of makes a motion to these glass walls at these other designers who appeared to be in their 20s. He was like, they don't know who Designers Republic is. I was like, I know, right? Because I was at an agency last year and I remember on like the, the public agency Slack thing, I posted a link. I was like, Hey, um, what's it? Unit Editions is doing a design is doing a Designers Republic monograph. That's a big deal mm -hmm. because the only other one was done by Idea Magazine uh, years ago, and I mean that thing goes for you can't. It's so expensive. Idea or ID? Idea. Okay, it's Japanese. Oh, okay, they tons of. Oh, is that stuff. the one that's like spelled Idea like A Y? Mm -hmm. But you can see on the bookshelf, ID. No, it's IDEA, and then they always have like the, the okay. Japanese characters for it. He has it, an extensive bookshelf, by the way. Like uh, his knowledge and his uh, his college is right behind him. Yeah. It's awesome. Anyway, the point <laughs> is on Slack, it was crickets. Now, to be fair, a lot of times people are just busy. Yeah. But but the I was like, dude, this went to like over a hundred people. 
nobody like no they have no idea i was like oh my what's happened these people don't know about designers public anyway so i'm talking to this guy and he was like talking about attic remember attic oh yeah oh they were huge back in the day like and who was the stars who was the too advanced i was never quite a big fan of them but but it was impressive from a technological standpoint from Kind of Not necessarily point. designed, but now, just like now. Who was before too advanced was virtual V I R two L. They had Mike Young pre we work for them. Mm-hmm. They had James Widegren. Mm-hmm. They had Jens Carlson. They had I think they had Jens, which those two went on to Carlson to, no huh? to do. Um, they worked at Big Spaceship in the early days, and then they founded Your Majesty. Oh 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 okay yeah Sorry. Uh, oh and then James they both they did three O way back in the day design portal um anyway and there was another shop uh to- token i think in new york city they had oh, joshua davis yep. yeah, yeah. they were making like websites for jay-z and stuff in like mm-hmm. the late 90s and everyone was just getting paid silly money anyway so i'm talking with this guy and we're talking about old school design oh right we're and um i was just showing him some of my work but what we're talking about is like you can see within graphic design today like um certain studios like they'll they'll only do one style which is fine like yeah. a lot of them it's so good like they've got brutalist stuff down they've got postmodern yeah. typography <clears throat> down but a lot of times what i see is i feel like people just make this stuff and they're imitating a style and they're doing it well i'm not even saying it's bad mm-hmm. but uh, uh but it makes me think like do you know why you're why you're that? making the type the way you are or you're just repeating what you see, but you don't understand the theory behind it. And so, but there's a lot of good stuff these days. I completely agree. They don't understand. So that's why I'm very impressed. If I can see in someone's work, multiple styles, like show me that you can solve a problem. Yeah. Yeah. You can do it in the really, uh, hyper hip trendy, Minimal brutalist type art, whatever's on trend right now, you know, all that stuff. But then show me if you can solve a problem and just do really nice type and get the right feel for a totally different category. That impresses me. I'm always careful to criticize young creatives for a couple of reasons. Not that you are, but I'm, I'm always, you know, I think the default perspective and I think the only really, um, good, case study of this would be like mumble rappers and the default is to saying what the fuck are you doing you can't even rap i can't this even understand what you're saying quest. right Respect i don't know what elders. you're saying yeah. yeah yeah and i understand that because i think if you grow up with a certain level of um output that you think is quality and it is then you're going to judge whatever comes after you by that same barometer but the only way that innovation comes about is by acknowledging, even if it's through the collective conscious or subconscious of what has come before you, and you may not even know what that is, but then flipping it on its ear and saying, now I'm going to mumble. Like, okay, so the first response to that is like, I can't even hear what you're saying. You sound like a moron. You sound like you're on Xanax. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, wait, Xanax is actually in your name. <laughs> You know, like, what is this even? <laughs> but at the same time, they are definitely contributing to the overall uh, conversation, the cultural conversation, and people are connecting with that for some reason. For sure. And I am, I'm, 
you know, I the, the the best example of this that I have is Snapchat. And I always said, man, Snapchat is bullshit. We're talking like five years ago. And I'm just like, Snapchat's silly. The content disappears in 10 seconds. Or, you know, right after you watch it, you can never see it again. And then I kind of felt old and I stepped back and I'm like, but every person under a certain age is into this. It makes sense for their context because yeah. guess what? I don't want a paper trail Yeah, because I'm in my teens and we were all there once. I thank God I didn't grow up with social media well, in my teens. That, and then also I'm trying to, and I don't necessarily know, but I'm trying to correlate that to design and art today. And I'm saying you don't necessarily need to know all of the originators as long as you provide something and then eventually eventually get your learn on. Eventually create you create something that's interesting and relevant to your peers and whoever you're talking to. And then eventually you begin to say, okay, what came before me? Mm-hmm. And so like in this conversation that you had with this guy that's around your same age, you're saying, these people don't even know who Designer Republic is. Mm. Blah, 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 blah. I, I get that. And I think it's, I think it is a comfortable thing to talk about, but at the yeah. same time, it's fun to tell people to get off your lawn. Yeah. Get and off. We my always lawn. have to be careful to <laughs> not be that motherfucker. That's saying, get off my lawn. <laughs> no, it's true. That's what uh, this whole fucking podcast yeah, is trying to no, be about. That's, you know? that's very true because it is, there's no reason for them to know certain things. Exactly. You, you, if you know, you know, right. It's like exactly. that. So no, that's true. Um, I think the other thing I was talking about with, you know, if people are only doing one style yeah. or something like that is just, if it's fine art, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. If it's graphic design or uh, communications, you, you got to have more colors in your palette. Sure. But I totally remember when I was young, I couldn't even do the, I couldn't even do what I wanted to do because I wasn't good enough. So yeah. in my day, but we forget that it was exploding 3d stuff. I, I never learned 3d software, so I could never do that. Mm-hmm. And I would like, you know, I just couldn't even do what was popular because I wasn't good enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I get it. Yeah. Well, and I think that the key is, um, with all of the agency owners that I know and people that hire people on a regular basis is that the creativity that they show is important, but what's even more important is that it's someone that they know will evolve and become a part of the team that's in place, especially in the Midwest where it's smaller shops. You know, there's not a couple hundred people working at an agency. Well, but to that point though, um, even any of these big agencies with hundreds of people, I mean, the honest truth is the work gets done by like five people. They're, they are still small teams Yeah. for each. Like, let's say you're working on Coca-Cola. You're saying the work gets produced. Yeah. yeah. No, because let's say Coca-Cola, there could, that could be like a 60 per, uh, 40 person team. Mm-hmm. One team of five is working on this social activation. Another team of five or six is working on a Super Bowl idea. Maybe they have like four teams of five working on various Super Bowl ideas mm-hmm. and you won't know you know, what gets approved or picked till the end. So it still gets done by smaller teams, which is refreshing to know if you don't know that because it helps with the mystique of, Oh, I could, it's like, no, it, you know what I mean? Like 
William Shakespeare was one person. Right. He wrote all that. You know what I mean? Like you know, it, like lots of people does not equal um good work. It, no. It's, 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 if anything, it makes it worse. Totally. Like yeah, it all gets done by it. the the smaller the group, the better. Yeah. And, and on the client side too, like the less layers of approval it has to go through, the better. The better. Yeah. Well, I think everyone suffers from the comparison syndrome. And they look at entities as opposed to looking at specific teams of people. You know, I think like one of the most relevant versions of that would probably be like Apple that, you know, that we've grown up with and saying Apple changed the game, Steve Jobs, and then his mountain of employees. Yeah, yeah. But you don't, it's more granular than that. And you have to really break it down to the specific people that helped do specific things based on the insight and vision that a couple people had, like Steve and Joni, or Johnny. I don't know how. I still don't know how the fuck you say his name. <laughs> you just say it in a sweet, Honey. smooth Honey British Ivy. accent that lulls you to Ivy. sleep in a white room <laughs> with beautiful close-up. Apple product is photography. the whitest company. <laughs> you don't work, wait. Do you work with them? Sorry. No. Okay. No. Good. All right. So we can talk shit. No. Well. <laughs> Hey, I'm available. Hey, no. Hey, podcast sponsor. <laughs> no, I, I actually have a lot of friends that left full time agency gigs to go internal at Apple. They have a, uh-huh. like a dream team of because they use. Well, they still do work with outside agencies like uh, even, TBWA Mal. Sure, but the internal team is like the yep. ninety two dream team. Yeah, but wasn't Facebook's too? Recently, and now I think yeah. Facebook is kind of like becoming the bastard. Facebook, that's... And I think Facebook is a very unique example of people getting so hyped about it and give it five, seven years, and now people hate it. And they're like, oh, I'm not working there. That's bullshit. <laughs> I mean, that's a big, that's a whole podcast in and that of is itself. True. That is true. Um, all right, congratulations. So far, this is the longest podcast yet. I we did uh, it, America. <laughs> I think it it uh, picked up when we started drinking some beer. Honestly, uh, I think it's good throughout. Now Sun's I'm, out, IPA's out. I'm sabotaging my own podcast. <laughs> um, you can I don't know who post. who um, who do you think is really interesting today in terms of design? Because I literally have no idea. Oh. I have a very quick answer for this. Cool. And this is what I say. Uh, <laughs> Braulio Amada. How do you even Braulio, I apologize if I didn't get your last name right. Um, B-R-A-U-L-I-O. Yep. Uh-huh. We'll have it in the contents. I oh, can't yeah. think of it off the top of my head. We'll link to it in so the credits. Pressure. No, he's fantastic. Um, he, uh, I, uh, when he had his first book come out, it's on the shelf. I'll show it to you in a minute. Um, for all his work from, I think like 2017, mm-hmm. it's, he just does all these club posters and other work. Awesome. His, <clears throat> uh, no, like he does illustration, his, his graphic design sensibility. It's so like the, I think I tweeted about it and I said, like, if you ever find yourself kind of bored with graphic design or kind of like, hmm, it's all been done before you look at this guy's work and you just feel like a little kid again, or you feel like when you first got in design and you're just so excited and inspired to make something new, mm-hmm. just looking at his work. It's just so that's great, lively and fresh. And nothing is, I mean, you could probably, you could pick through and, and, and connect the dots to, 
to sources or inspiration, but it's not, it, it's so not derivative. It's that's, just, that's like, rare. Yeah. It's bringing it's, something new to the really table. It's really refreshing. That's and cool. plus he's just a wonderfully nice human being. Yeah. Um, he was in Portland. I got to meet him once. Oh, cool. Uh, years ago. Great A human. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. So he's doing really good things. He's in New York. Um, he and his partner, I believe have opened up like a gallery space and they're doing workshops and, they're like, they're just doing really good things. Like things you're like, that's like, makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Anyone else or comes to mind? I mean, from an agency's per- perspective, Collins is my favorite. Brian mm-hmm. Collins is a major uh, hero, especially just from my path. Cause I worked a lot of years in advertising, out of advertising, back in advertising. And if you've done that and you love graphic design, you'll understand what I'm saying. There's some tension there uh, with those two worlds. And Brian Collins is just OG. Uh, I don't know how old he is. He's old, you know, he's been around a minute, but his, his group his the work they produce is just fantastic. And I'll also shout out. I always, I always recommend this to other people as well. He did a podcast with, Tobias Van Schneider, mm-hmm. who's now a Simplice. Yep. Tobias used to be on the Spotify team. I think that's how he and Brian met because Collins did all the Spotify visual language. We'll link to that too. Um, the podcast is fantastic. I mean, Brian is just, he's one of the most eloquent speakers. He has a radio voice already. I'm, <laughs> je- I'm jealous because it's like, ugh, I wish I could walk into a client meeting, talk like just him. lower my voice an octave and just welcome. Yeah, just get all the work approved. <laughs> What's uh, um, China up to? China, he is, I haven't talked to him in a minute, maybe like six months or so. He was dabbling in fine art for a minute. Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, still doing that. He's he's selling prints. More on, than dabbling. I, yeah, that, I'm, yeah. That's not the right word. Well, he's... I'd, I'd say he's a respected fine artist in his yeah, own right. But his thing is, he's so, he's like uh, the definition of a renaissance person. I mean, he's... Yeah selling custom typefaces he's doing custom typefaces for major corporations he's doing like these he's so funny man like he i like mike too because he's not in the big self-promotion game yeah he sent me a pdf last year i I can see that and it was all these major logos that you'll that you would know and see on tv Mm -hmm. i was like mike you did all these he's like Oh yeah, I, I, I did all these. Yeah, and they were through other agencies. He's just like the secret weapon for these agencies. He is great. I had the pleasure of meeting him way back in the day too. Yeah. And he's just, just the nicest person, sweetheart. And yeah, you'd never know that he's right. A god. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, it's like go back to Greek mythology. You're like, oh yeah, he can shoot lightning, yeah. but you'd never know it. Right. Um. Yeah. So he's doing. He he's just like balances. Thor with Ant Man's personality <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly yeah no he's doing a lot of fine art things i think and then um client work and i don't know i need to call him definitely yeah you should get mike on your show i would i would be blown away if he would even grace me with his this is how i feel presence. about about people like mike is especially like a decade ago or so yeah there was a lot of people just putting a lot of content out mm-hmm that were still in their twenties and I don't want to ever look down on anyone young. Right. But I just remember thinking like, I don't really care what you think. Sure. I want to hear from people 
like this who are in their 30s and 40s and older that have that really don't self-promote a lot that yeah. really don't not out there doing the the speaking circuit tour you know they're not the keynote i mean they do some but mm-hmm. it's like i want to hear what i want to hear what you think i don't care well, what they, you know and again like because that's the thing like when you're in your 20s it's just it's it's a strength and a weakness. Mm-hmm. There's your ignorance. So you're just like putting it all out there and there's good to be had from that. There sure. really is. But at the same time too, I th- I would think those same people, they get older in their thirties and they look back or even late thirties, forties, whatever. They look mm-hmm. back and like, Oh yeah, I was just kind of winging no, it. Yeah. But there's, uh, there's a, there's something comforting knowing that everybody's winging it. Like nobody yeah. knows what they're doing. <laughs> Well, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because my last podcast was with um, Michael Eastman, and he's a, a, a fine art. Phot- I mean, he's the most well-known uh, photographer in St. Louis by far, uh, living photographer. And um, you know, he's he's big in the art world, and he just has such a unique personality to him, a unique drive to him, and he's seventy-two, and so. What, I love that. What I was trying to do with his podcast, or not trying, but just had in my mind, hmm. was that he didn't really find success until he was, you know, 50. And I love stuff. That stuff gives right. me so much life. Because I feel like our culture is just like, well, if you haven't sold a company by 25 and are <laughs> right. a millionaire, just There's an obsession with youth, for sure. Yeah, but, but I wanted a lot to, of pressure. I wanted to compare and contrast that with your success at, 20 at 20. Oh, okay. And I think that it's interesting to see, um, you know, where you're at now. And I think it's a good place for sure. Um, well, the flip side though could be, and this is one of my fears (laughs) is that I don't, I don't know if I'll be doing this in five years. I, there, there's certain moments where I'm like, because if you start from an early age and you do it, and if you're also have a lot of varied interest and you get bored with things, you know, it, it might be that I'm not doing exactly all this in the next five, 10 years. So I don't know. So I think that's like, you know, that's the, I don't know. I mean, the counter to that. Sure. But here's what I will say to end on a more positive note is that, um, I'm not the best designer in the world and neither is Josh, but he's better than me. And design has provided, a way to communicate anything that I am interested in, uh, specifically entrepreneurially. And anything that I find myself um, relating to or getting into, whether it's a a new product or whether it's writing or whether it's creating music, I know that I have the ability to visually communicate that. And I think that's the most badass aspect of design. It is the ultimate Swiss Mm -hmm. army knife to have in your pocket for whatever it is that you want to do in life. It is fun. It's fun and it's, it contributes to um, promoting any endeavor that you ever want to try out. I mean, that's anytime I've wanted to get into product design or starting up my own company or being in a band I haven't yeah. had to hire a designer because I've had the know-how and the skill set to be able to visually communicate what that thing is about. Yeah. And yeah. that's the power of design. Like that's I, the beauty of it. That reminds me, have you you probably haven't seen it because tickets are stupid expensive. Mm-hmm. But have you listened through to Hamilton the musical? 
No, you should. I it's, you because you won't see it for. <laughs> neither will I see it for a while because it's well, so expensive. I, I'm I like. I feel like I got so fucking popular that I would. I'm like, I haven't even seen it, and I'm a little no, tired of it. Well, sure. No, I haven't <laughs> seen it either, but I listened through oh, the I whole thing. You seen it. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Um, many times. Okay, so it's cooled off a minute. You should go listen through it. Anyway, yeah. there is a section in Hamilton where he talks about, and this is a true story. It's a song. He talks about writing his way out mm-hmm. of... Basically, like any problem or life circumstance, he can write his way out of. That's his whole, it's how he got off a small island in the Caribbean. It's Mm -hmm. how he had political success, career success. Um, And I always think of that with design, especially with what you just said, because it is true. It's like, hey, you don't like your portfolio? Go make new stuff. Like you're not someone like an architect. You have to, somebody's got front money for a building. And perhaps you could still make um, concept sketches and whatever architects do. Sorry. I know nothing about architecture, <laughs> but from, from a designer, like you can just make anything up. You could make up a brand. Mm-hmm. You could do a whole ad campaign. You could make all of it up, mock it all up. And me personally, as someone who would hire someone, I don't care. Yeah. I just want to see the work. Yeah. I don't care if it wasn't produced or not. If you, if it shows your thinking, um, and your skill level. So I think that's, I've always said that to like speaking with students or younger designers, like that's the, that is, you're right. It is one of the coolest things about graphic design. It's like, you can always reinvent yourself. You can always make new stuff. And you can make stuff. anything you're interested in yeah. real. Yeah, like you can. And legitimate. Yeah. Which like, is badass. Like, yeah. honestly, it is. You can write your own brief. You write can, your own brief, give yourself a brief, do the work, put it on the internet. You can make anything official. Yeah. You know, how do, how do, how do some people, <laughs> I was, again, Michael Eastman, the photographer, he's like, you know, I had, I was very confident and after my first photo shoot, I made a business card that said Michael Eastman, photographer. That's design. <laughs> that, that's the that's that. the heart of design yeah, is yeah. creating legitimacy, yeah. whether you are or not. And I think that's kind of why I fell in love with it. Yeah. Um, so, no, I think it, I hope this is the first of many podcasts with you because uh, we talk pretty frequently and I think we have pretty interesting ideas. And I think... Um, I think this is just the start of reflecting on uh, design and art and life in general. So here's to many more podcasts. Happy to be here. You, Thank you, guys. Let's get the NPR. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Let's cue that music that's still not written and bring it back around. Hey, how do people find you? Uh, yes, joshboston.com is a website. Um, <laughs> on Instagram, it's hey, Josh Boston, H E Y. Twitter, nah, who cares about Twitter? You can, you can do a deep dive for that. The website will be live in June. It will be now. <laughs> will be now. No, it really will. I, I, yeah. no comment. Beautiful. All right, let's go, uh, let's get out of this beautiful ass Portland day with the sun shining, 90 degrees. Something. Let's get, let's sweat. Let's, let's sweat, go bro. sweat. Let's go sweat. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Check, 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 check. Yes, yes, yes. That was Josh Boston. Oh my goodness. A mountain of a man with a heart of gold. He has grown up, as he said, middle of Missouri, made his way to California, Portland, and beyond. I look forward to seeing where he goes with the rest of his work and life and everything that he builds 
uh, moving forward. It's going to be great. Speaking of moving forward, what's coming up next week? I hope to have the next podcast ready to go. This needs to be a little more regular. Hopefully uh, no other governments call asking for my presence and I have to pack up last minute and travel. Uh, That's the plan at least. It's beautiful outside lately. I'm so happy for the rest of summer, ready to just start cranking on these podcasts and enjoying life, slowing down a little bit and taking in what the St. Louis summer has to offer. Until next time, everybody. Enjoy your life, enjoy your family, call your parents if they're still around, and uh, just be cool. Peace.